conversation that's yet again going while the show begins. And at some point, you'll let everybody know and me know that we're probably being watched. And I can say something like, hey, Internet, can I do that yet? No. I think you can. I can. Hey, Internet. <laughs> Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And that makes you immortal now. Uh, he paid for your immortality. Uh, he's not going to be long in bringing this promise to bear on your life. And that hope alone, even though I did forget one of my own talking points right there, that hope alone is your sufficiency in these gray and latter days. You fed the ma found the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill with Jonathan and Meredith. Stick around, but wait, wait, wait. Just stay here. Just stay here because um, it, we got a lot going on. There's lots of good going on here in Rockford. Uh, that's why I'm always encouraging you to come by and visit, uh, to consider visiting St. Paul's Lutheran Church and see all the amazing things that are doing going on as young men are gathering there to build families for the future as Christians uh, with the vision of a real Christian community in this place. And with a lot of other pieces tied to that and my, my digital footprint that's, you know, you and me having this conversation, uh, however, whatever means you're getting this conversation from, uh, the last year has been sort of, okay, so what are these tools good for? Uh, what is the position of the Saturday Morning Chill? What is the position of Brief History of Power? We are on the verge of letting Brief History of Power kind of unleash as its own little thing. Um, that won't be something that changes any of your experience, but it will do is it will give it wings of its own. So rather than relying on my wings, we're going to rely on the wings of the real the real power behind that show, who, who you know is Dr. Koontz, right? Uh, and so, um, so that's an exciting thing. And as we do that and let it be its own channel, channel on Podbean. We're going to be removing this content from Podbean and starting a new podcast channel. It uh, doesn't matter who we use. You'll be able to get it just from our website and from searching for, for whatever, you know, uh, iTunes or whatever. Um, uh, as we do that, it's an opportunity to rethink what is the Saturday morning chill and what is its identity and use. And as you've, you've found recently, right, like adding my better half to the show doesn't hurt the show much at all, does it now? And so that idea threw back to something you know, a year and a half ago, if you're, if you're a solid listener, you're always on to everything, you hear me talk about uh, Stop the White Noise. Stop the White Noise as a show idea that was really most of the th what I really want to focus on in life. And that's because it's what my family and I together have been focusing on in life as Christians, striving to hear God, which means to be still enough for long enough to let the white noise get far enough away that I can open the Bible and read it and care. As we've been uh, seeking that kind of life together, I, I, it just it just makes sense to um, to bring her into that conversation. So you can see again what we're doing here, uh, because uh, it's not just me and it's not just a show. There's elements of this that are definitely my performance, right? Um, but th that doesn't help anybody, honestly. Uh, what matters is the reality that's behind it that makes the show happen. And that, again, I tell you, uh, is not just my family, but it is is my congregation here and the community that the Lord has put here for these gray and lighter days. Uh, so with all that said, uh, no show opening this morning because we're going to be rebranding this show opening. And until we have the new one ready to go, I think we're just going to stop the white noise on our end by uh, going straight at it. <laughs> and so, But this brings us to another point. Right now, there is a position opening in the Mad Christian Network. Now, of course, you can join the Mad Christian Network anytime you want. You just get on us the chill at Discord. Get your Discord app on whatever computer you're using. Search for the channel. So meet the server, us the chill. Uh, ask to get in. You'll be let in. And you can take advantage of the Mad Christian Network, which is lots of good people all over the planet, many of them Lutherans, not all of them. So wanting to cling to Jesus Christ alone and his wisdom for navigating these 
you know, tremendously torturous waters, these, these times of confusion and suffering. Uh, and so there are people there with all sorts of resources for all sorts of things from, you know, whether you want to learn to read the Bible in Greek yeah, uh, or, or all the way up to I'm just here because I want to hang out somewhere where people aren't entirely cruel all the time and you know at least here we only fight in fight club and then fight club is just about fight club and we get over it we move on right um so that's all there but inside and behind all of that this is how mad mondays happens do you know this people you you with us the chill do you know you're how mad, mad mondays happens you find that news for us you're the ones digging out there you're the fact checkers right and we just let it all come together and we like oh look here's the actual news source from the local place and mad mondays comes out of this thing because behind what you see is us the chill is indeed the Mad Christian Network that's bringing this show to bear with me and my own friends, or what do you call them, team workers, who you know and are part of the community, hubs in the network, right, um, who are scrumming together toward pushing the gospel out as far as we can. Because where we are, if we just pull together, together, uh, it goes a lot further. Huh? Uh, so, all right, so the position that we need is one of you out there that isn't already carrying too much water uh, in your life. <laughs> uh, maybe you are tired of carrying water in one element of your life and would like to carry it somewhere else that means more, right, that does more, that feels more like a part of a real thing going on somewhere. What we're needing is somebody who really likes video editing and wants to do some initial uh, video editing under uh, my direct guidance, actually. I need someone who wants, who wants to edit three-minute videos for me uh, for the sake of what? Bringing a new opening to the show. That'd be the first thing we want to do, right? And I have the pieces. I have the concept. I, you know, I want to produce. I just I just need a director. Yeah. So if, if that's something you do on your on your side end, you know, in your, in your back pocket is you already are kind of a low-level video junkie producer, right? Um, uh, reach out through refus.com slash contact and let us know that you're interested in that position or you can always, uh, you can tag Frisbee uh, in Us the Chill uh, on the Matt Christian Discord and let her know uh, that you're interested in this position. Frisbee the hand, I believe, is the one you got to tag there. So all of that's to say, um, and that's, that's way too much white noise, isn't it now? Uh, all of that's to say, stop the white noise with Jonathan Meredith is, is here. And we got your questions. We got the Bible's answers. We got our nonsense, but it's more like my nonsense. And and then we got you know, um, uh, well Meredith's voice, and you'll you'll learn uh, what that is. I, I can say this. I can say the reason I'm excited she's on the show is not only that she's a Christian, because that's really cool, <laughs> uh, and and her faith and her ability to perceive uh, Christ in the scriptures is something that's a comfort to me often. Um, so th there's that. But uh, what she's going to bring to this teaching time is kind of the what the other edge to the family right so if we want to build christian society not just here in rockford wherever we are it's gonna happen because fathers and mothers work together it's gonna happen because man and woman learn that they are diverse and valuable in their diversity when they what cohabit with the proper alternate pole that allows them, right, to truly produce a productive future. And, and you, you see this in the nature of childbirth, right? Which didn't we get, we got dinged, didn't we, for this recently? Like, like we talked about how you make babies. Yeah. That was fun. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The horror. The horror of, of scientific language. Uh, anyway, um, what was I talking about? Babies. Why was I talking about babies? Fathers and mothers Fathers and mothers together. coming together. And so what Meredith is going to provide here, again, is the insight of a mother to uh, the questions about well, every human relationship that exists. And, and why is that important? Because the most important relationship in your life after your father for every other relationship that exists is your mother. How you relate to your father and mother will impact how you relate to everybody else. Period. Can't avoid it. It is the law. 
Okay. And so having that, that other side, you know, you see us at issues, et cetera, you know, how oh, these kids are, she's the psychological, emotional wisdom behind so much of what goes on in our home. And that's what I want to share. So, um, we've talked for years about, uh, stop the white noise as a podcast on parenting. And so what we're going to do again is this is stop the white noise already today. Uh, still called us and chill for today, but um, that does not mean we're only going into emotional psychology. This is still the grab bag world of, you know, you got questions, we got answers. We're not ninjas, we're just Christians, and, and on we go, right? Um, but uh, I'm excited about it, uh, and I want to say to you, while the world is watching, you know, mm -hmm. you complete me. Ha ha, anyone want to get oh, that? Um, oh, shit. <laughs> no, what I really <laughs> want to say is, well, you said yesterday to me, well, we did sign up to be missionaries, didn't we? And you were talking about Rockford. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um... I want to say to you that there is no more exciting thing in my life, no thing in my life I could be more excited about than doing a show on living in harmony with people as Christians, with you as my other voice. Mm -hmm. you know, to, to be uh, in our marriage, walking toward talking about living together in peace and forgiveness and uh, facing pain together as well. Absolutely. Um, well, it's an honor to be welcomed. It's Thank more, you. You're more than welcomed. It's just, this is, it's a dream come true. It's a dream come true. I get to work with my wife. It's great. So, all right, we're going to jump into, did I have something prepared to say before that? That's going to come up later, I think. So I think I want to just jump into the opening question as, as the real front end of the show here before we go off to anywhere else. We still are going to be using our breaks. So this still is Saturday morning chill. It's still South the White Noise. We're going to be transitioning in adaptative mode rather than all at once like the pros with the big bucks do uh first question though what, what do we got here the first question is from zach it says hey rev fisk i was wondering if you could speak on witnessing and how we should feel about it jesus is clear in mark 16 to go into all the world preaching the gospel to all creation and no one is less deserving to hear than another at the same time I feel there are times when people refuse to listen or are hostile to the gospel. Jesus said this would happen as well. My question is how to be a good witness when faced with things like this, specifically as a future seminarian and as a hopeful pastor. When things like this come up, I feel compelled to focus on the Lord's flock and those who may be curious or have questions about Christianity rather than get into arguments on social media or have an argument in public with someone. It seems more efficacious to focus on the 99 sheep who are there and maybe look for the one who is lost rather than try to change the direction of the one who is running in the opposite direction. I will still pray for those who dig in with their foolishness and hope they one day come to repentance in Christ. But I also know that getting into arguments and or ramming scripture down people's throats is not how we show the gospel. Thanks. God bless. I think it's a really good question, and I have a lot of things I want to say about it. And I'm not sure where to start first because um, because it's a, it's a category problem first. And so I, I love your heart and I love your question, but I also am concerned about uh, the category that we put it in and that the use of the word witness as a term for purely meaning um, American missiology salesmanship, um, this is something we just can't have anymore. We got to take that word back and take it back hard. To witness has nothing to do with conversion. To witness has absolutely, positively, can I put an expletive in there, nothing to do with conversion. 
aside from that, conversion happens from witnesses, but not because the witness tries to make conversion happen. The witness says what happened. Truly. Are you follow? So are we called to witness as Christians? Well, the resurrection, actually not. There were only a few of those. They wrote some things called the New Testament. We like that book, right? Because it's the eyewitness account. So if I'm going to witness anything now, what am I going to witness? I'm going to witness what the Bible says out loud. I will see it out loud come true as I speak it, pray it, believe it, and then again, witness it. This means first is something I'm receiving, not something I'm doing. But as I'm receiving it, I'm receiving it in a way in which the scriptures themselves are again coming out of my mouth, and thus it becomes a witness to others. But again, this is not about how, um, it's really not even about how Jesus changed my heart. <laughs> Although he did, and does, and will. Uh, it's really not about that, though. It's about what I saw, and what I heard, and now what I've touched, just like St. John, only he got the flesh in the flesh, and I got the flesh in the bread. All the same, right? The call to witness, please, please, let's recover the witness without having to go back to American missiology, because that stuff's all nonsense Ponzi scheme garbage. And we just got to, you wonder why it hasn't been blessed, guys. You wonder why it's just torn down everything with the rest of the system. If the last hundred years of American missiology was doing the real work of putting people in the Bible more and more, rather than less and less, we would not be in the country we're in. And it wouldn't have to do with Republicans and Democrats at all. It would have to do with our prayers. So again, I'm, I'm, I am angry about this because what's happened is salesmen whose consciences are seared have been taking cream off the crop of traveling menageries of missionary work and witnessing. And this isn't LCMS. I'm not talking to the LCMS. I'm talking to the whole thing. So much ink, so much blood spilt on the idea of mission and losing the whole way. The idea that the witness testifies to what the Bible actually just says, regardless of whether the people like it or not, without ever believing it's your task to make them like it. Now, it's your task not to be a jerk. It's your task to believe that peace, patience, kindness, goodness, these are good things. We want more of this in our life. But it's not your task to do those things so as to manipulate another to be saved by your efforts. And this is where the, the entire issue of the last hundred years of mission is justification by works. And whereas the first Reformation was about how you had to justify yourself, this one's about how you have to justify everybody else. You can't just sit still and know that Jesus is God and read your Bible on a corner on a mountaintop. Because otherwise, you have to feel guilty, right? So what happens is missiology makes you read your Bible less. You're too busy going out and running to actually get in the thing and read it and believe that God's going to bring to bear the conversations that you need to have through the relationships you have. And if he wants you to witness to somebody you don't know, you're going to find that person. And if indeed you have to run outside your town, indeed apply to the seminary. <laughs> uh, but go get authorized then and realize you're not really after just a witness at this point. You're after uh, the true missionary work, which only truly ultimately is that of the office of the ministry, all Christians can confess the gospel. All Christians are able to then be what you might call a missionary, like in, in your neighbor, you talk to your neighbor, they believe in Jesus, they come to church, and you're like, oh, I'm a missionary. Yes, but no. The missionary is sent away. 
Now, I know there's a lot of people who like to say, okay, so I went on a mission trip. I went for two weeks and we did – that's nice. That's nice. That's a servant event. That's awesome, okay? Whatever. It's, it's a vacation. It's great. Don't – you did it. It meant a lot to you. I don't want to hurt it, okay? A missionary is a man who leaves everything he knows. He goes at this point in our church body for three or four years to all these people he doesn't know. He has to leave all of them behind and then go to somewhere he never has been before and live there at least three years, if not the rest of his life, only in order to do and feed the people there with the gospel. That's a missionary. It's called a pastor. The word mission comes from the Latin translation of the Greek word apostle which is, again, about the preaching office. And this is not to say that a man who is in the preaching office is a better Christian or has more power. And he says he's just simply sent away from his family and his home, and he can't stay there. <laughs> so he's a missionary. Do you see how the confusion of these words and the, the use of them for our pocketbooks might just be harming what we're actually trying to achieve, if we're going to try to achieve it, you know, as the scriptures teach it? Now, you follow me on that? So, so I'm really happy with your question, and I hope this initial sort of like framework lay down gauntlet um, uh, can help with the rest of the answer because you have other things that are in there. Like, okay, so how do I talk to a fool is a big part of your question, right? You, you have it in the category of mission and conversion. And I think that's, I think that's not really helpful. I mean, go find the word conversion in the Bible and start doing like a study on what that way you can, you can study conversion, but it's not like what the Bible's talking to you about most of the time, right? So I think we should talk about what the Bible talks about and believe that that converts people. And it's just like, what? What? What did he say? Did he say the Bible will do it? Yeah, I did. I did, actually. Yeah, as a group in community, word and sacrament, all this. I mean, the Lutheran view is right. I'm not, I don't think that's wrong. I just think the Lutheran view means actually believing what the Bible says. And then that means talking the way the Bible talks. And what the Bible says is not how can we convert people. It says how do you talk to a fool? And it, it compels you to realize that everybody that does not believe that Jesus Christ is God is, in one category, a fool. That fool is unbeliever, which in one category, one way, is actually atheist, although many of them will worship creation anyway. So, so how do you talk to a fool? How do you talk to a fool who is very clearly wanting to be a fool, who wants to remain a fool, who does not hear anything you're saying? And, and the Bible's answer on that, you know, you're asking the question, you know, do I continue trying to witness to somebody who doesn't want to listen to me and keeps arguing with me on the Internet? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you, you walk away from that. Do not answer the fool, you'll be like him, right? And, and I think, regardless of who the other person on the other side of that internet is who wrote whatever it was that you're like, oh, I gotta say something because they were so rude and they were so wrong and all this. Like, the, the reason you're both fools is because you're arguing on the internet. Like, it doesn't matter what you said. The fact that you're in a bona fide argument on the internet. Now, in Us the Chill, the Mad Christian Discord, there are guys that get into it with each other. It's fascinating to watch him, and, and we've tried to create a culture where this is okay, but also where we don't think it's like cool to be personal about it. Like you can debate the point all you want online with people who, in goodwill, are interested in finding out the truth. It is possible. But see, by the time you're in that moment where you're like heated and about to hit return, you're not debating the point anymore. You're having a worldview contest with the computer that is stealing a worldview contest from some other person who's arguing not against you, but against something in their world that you, you represent to them. And then, so they're arguing with their computer, but you both think you're arguing with each other. In some ways you are in fact, but you're not really. There's a medium between you. Dare I say a witch? Ah, <laughs> there's a medium between you uh, that is changing how you talk to each other. And I would say that, you know, the more time you spend in that medium, 
uh, with someone who is not of goodwill and that's obvious to you because you're getting angry as you talk um, or you're confused by it and that's obvious to you because you're getting angry as you type, um, well, you, you, you need to stop doing that. <laughs> you don't want to argue with your computer. Now, I know, I know, I'm, I'm going to do that again. I just did it a moment ago. I'll do it one more time here. But there's something that you really do have to see. Like the person who hit return on the thing, however you know, many miles away, they're no longer really, they're, they're not really there with you. They're with a computer that you're talking through, but it's not you. It's a computer they're talking to. And that computer has a lot of other voices besides yours. You're just one of many, many voices coming through their computer. And so they're not talking to you at all. They're talking to their computer and their persona of themselves in and through the computer. It's kind of like talking to the mirror a little bit. Is it all bad? No. <laughs> uh, uh, can it be pretty bad? Yeah, it can get real ugly. Real ugly. Yeah. So um, when you realize that you're in an argument with your computer in the name of somebody who is far away, who clearly, I think, in most cases, you would have a better conversation with if you were face-to-face, -face, um, I think it's obvious then that the answer to that is to walk away from that kind of behavior. Just stop. I don't know. Is it three years ago? I just, I did. I just, two years ago, I just stopped responding to any comment that in any way implied an argument online. I was, I was left. I was like, ah, oh, that's cool. I, right, they left. They, they win. <laughs> uh, because, because I don't even know who else is reading between that, beside that person and me. And by the moment that they haven't heard the last thing I typed, like I type something up and then they respond to something completely different, I'm done. I'm done. You're not even here in the room with me. You're not even a real person. I mean, you are where you are, but you're not here. And every time I give my heart to pretend people far away, even though they're real, the people that are near get less of my heart, straight up. And in that regard, then, if you want to learn to talk to people with a witness, the most important ones are your neighbors. And by that, I don't mean just the one who lives next door. The neighbor, this word is, is really needs help. Neighbor means near, the near one the near one. So of course, the one near your house will be a neighbor. But you know, when you're in the grocery store, the person beside you in line is your neighbor in line. That's the proper word in like Hebrew, okay? As <laughs> uh, your neighbor. That's the one we're supposed to love as ourselves. The checkout person that's working for you with all of their things that are not like you and you're like, "How and how we we're not even we're we're from different planets," right? Your neighbor. Yeah. Um witnessing to your neighbor by being an honest accountant of all things that come before you, including their words and especially their words and their questions that you would listen long enough to be able to witness to them what the scriptures say about them and their condition. See, that, that, that's the thing to care about. But that's called being a friend. That's called being a good neighbor, right? Not called being a missionary. It's not really called being a witness really either, right? Uh, the witnessing again is what you do when you open the Bible and read it. This is this is how you witness Jesus, right? You open it and you read it and you're witnessing it at that moment, okay? And then you can tell people about it later. Look, the Bible says this, witness. Okay? I used to be a bad person and now Jesus made me better. Not really a witness, a great truth. But how did he make you better? Why did he make you better? And what, what, what happened? Oh, he died on the cross? Bible, there you go, right? It's not about you, it's about Jesus in the Bible, witness. So get that back, fight against stories from follow, far away that steal your time, pity the fool wherever he is so that if you're going to engage a fool, make sure he's a neighbor.
Because he's actually there. God actually gave him to you. The rest of it, while indeed God did give us this technology, we're also doing a lot of our own stuff with it, just in our own names. So, like, yeah, right? Be careful what comes across that pipeline. Um, you mentioned Mark 16. You know, don't build bridges on Mark 16. Uh, the, the long ending, it, it is not where you want to start. There's nothing wrong with what you said from it, but just you know, be aware of Mark 16's issues. Um, there, you Google that with my name, you'll find you'll find more on that. Um, uh, da, 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 da. The other thing I want to get into from this though is this. So, do you really want to know how to handle a fool? Do you really want to know how to handle your life? Do you really want to know how to be a person that is beginning to witness the Bible? Let me tell you. Start with Psalm one. Start with Psalm one. And Meredith, can we get that one on the screen? That's the uh, the first. Uh, should be right there in Brave. Now, this year at St. Paul, uh, this is our theme psalm, theme verses for the entire year. Uh, we'll be kicking that off in just uh, two weeks here uh, with uh, our Set Apart series. So uh, every year we try to remember that we are set apart by God to dwell in this place, to in this place gather around his word, and that since his word would have us feast together upon a meal that comes from the altar of the cross, uh, you know, we have an altar that is built to receive these gifts from God, you know, an emblem of what was done uh, to, to Isaac and, and then to the lamb in his place, uh, bringing the, the meal to us. So being set apart as people who are to steward that altar and that pulpit, not only for our current moment of joy, but also for our children and our children's children and the belief that God does establish this kingdom until he returns, regardless of the rise and fall of nations. And that means church bodies too, like your congregation in Jesus is established. So just believe it and hang on tight and get a pastor, because if you don't have one, that's the biggest problem. Anyway, uh, <laughs> distraction there. Um, set apart to care about your local congregation and believe it will endure. This year, our emphasis then is that such people, such men and their families, are together and individually like a tree planted by streams of water. That's our, our deep emphasis here. And I'd love you to join us wherever you are in your life this year on this journey of Entering the Psalter. It's a big focus. What we're going to do is pray in the Psalms. I've been saying that a lot anyway, right? But enter the Psalter. Hear about Sons of Solomon, check out sonsofsolomon.net to learn how to pray the Psalter easily. Um, and then also learning to be Bible readers, right? Uh, so being Bible readers, what's going to happen? We're going to witness. We're going to have something happen to us. And what is it we're going to witness? This is what this psalm is going to teach us so beautifully. That the Christian witness of Jesus, the resurrected man, speaking to us as people because his Bible is true and we, believing it in the church, walk together toward the life of the world to come— like a tree planted by streams of water, we will bring forth our fruit as the season allows, as God sends it. As God sends the rains, we're going to produce fruit. And what is the fruit? This is the most important thing. How are we going to blossom? You're like, right now, it doesn't feel like I'm going to blossom. How are you going to blossom? Say hallelujah. Say it. You say it, Meredith? Hallelujah. There you go. She blossomed. Fruit of lips that confess Jesus' name. That is what it means to bear fruit in Jesus. You, you confess his name. Hallelujah. Jesus is risen. You have borne fruit. Now, believe that because that just happened where you are, that therefore you are like a tree planted by streams of water because otherwise you couldn't do that. It wouldn't happen. The spirit would not so move you. You would be in rebellion against it. You would let the torment around you say, oh, I'm afraid I might, someone might hear me. Right? You, you would let that happen. Say it. Hallelujah. 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 Okay, again, you are a tree planted by streams of water. You have been blossoming. Now believe that's all that's ever going to happen the rest of your life. More and more of that truth coming out of your mouth as the witness of who Jesus really is and you'll actually not have your best life now. You'll just not mind the life you have at all. You'll find out that it's all a gift from God. 
Now, let's read the psalm. Yeah. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of Jesus Christ, and on his law, his Torah, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also does not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly, this is who you're asking about, the ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For Jesus Christ knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So your question is, how do I talk to an ungodly person about God? And here's the trick. Let's, let's look at verse 1 again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You're actually not supposed to talk to them, generally speaking, in a fair exchange conversation. Like, you're really never supposed to talk to someone who is not a believer in Jesus as if they are an equal with you. Because they're not. It's not that you're better than them. It's that their mind is ruled by the devil. And yours is ruled by Jesus, even though your flesh is still ruled by the devil. But you have this other thing going on. His name's the Holy Spirit. He's in you by these very words. And so when you're walking with someone, that is, you're, you're in a conversation with somebody who is ungodly, you're not there to learn. You're not there for counsel. You don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly unless you want to become like them. Rather, you would be there with the Holy Counselor, the Comforter, Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit, yeah, to counsel them. So it's not that you can never walk beside a man who is ungodly on the road to speak with him, but you should never walk with him in his counsel. And that's, that's wisdom right there. And because what happens if you walk with a man in his ungodly counsel, you begin to stand beside sinners and not be so bothered by it. Now notice the distinction between the ungodly and the sinner. The ungodly would be like the unbeliever. The sinner would be the manifest public sinner. That, the, sin can mean a lot of different things. So don't take this and put it into every word sin anywhere in the Bible. But in this case, it's about public manifest sin, all right? Some guy who divorces his wife in the church, marries the secretary, and keeps coming to church while his wife is too ashamed to show her face, okay? Like, it's public. We all know what's going on. Like, well, if you walk with the ungodly, you're going to start to act like them. You're going to stand beside sinners and not mind it. You're not going to mind gross public sin in your congregation. You might even begin to shout about it because next what happens is you sit in the seat of the scornful. Notice how you're no longer walking. Now you're just stuck in a group of people who all they do is decry. All they do is criticize. All they do is complain. All they do is scoff. Yeah. So this is the challenge as you talk to the fool. Do not answer the fool lest you be like him. Like how wise do you think you are? And if you think you're wise, well, then you're not. The Proverbs are very clear about that. So rather than run out and try to save the world with mission with your own heart, which is just like the contrary everything the Bible says, what the Christian wants to do is plant his roots in the Bible, in his family, and in his parish, in the firm belief that whenever any eyeballs are brought to his eyeballs to look at them in the face, and then they say words to him, that he will be then rightly and duly prepared to give voice to what he has believed in every single way, and to be ready for that moment and encourage it. You won't be able to help it. If your life is indeed made of feasting upon the scriptures, then that's what's going to come out of you. What goes in is what comes out. There's just, there's just no way around that one. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, if you got polluted streams, you got polluted streams. You know, there you go. So this this is the point. Blesses the man who doesn't let his stream get polluted. Stop the white noise. Hard to do, ain't it now? Yeah, right. It sure is. But then, well, what's the real solution? It's not that you're going to stop the white noise entirely. The fool's going to be on the road. You can't avoid him. Yeah, uh, but you can have your delight be in the Torah of Jesus Christ. Please hear that word law there, Torah, as an Old Testament word that means the Bible. It means the scriptures. Whenever you see that word in the Old Testament, it ultimately for us means the Bible, the scriptures. It doesn't mean law and gospel in a Lutheran sense. Um, it, it means instead everything that's been written. And that's because Torah, at the time this is happening, is more or less everything that's been written. I mean, they got Joshua, you know, and, you know, his first Samuel written. I mean, that's pretty close. Not really, right? So Torah for David was like the whole thing, you know? Um, and so we should hear it that way because we have the completion of it. We have the, the fullness of the mirror, as Paul talks about in First Corinthians. So uh, his delight is in the scriptures of Jesus Christ, and on his scriptures he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by streams of water. So you want to be a good witness to your neighbor? Are you meditating on the scriptures day and night? Or is it just sort of a thing that you ought to do? And you're like, well, I'm at seminary. I do study all the No, that's, <laughs> that stuff's all solid intellectual rigor. It's like an athletic contest, and you can put it to great use. But it is not meditating upon the scriptures day and night to take seminary classes. Not even close. Yeah. So, again, SonsOfSolomon.net is the easy way to do this. Uh, we got a new document that is coming out uh, very soon to make it easy to put it in your pocket. And you can get those for free if you show up at our muster event this coming Labor Day. Check that out uh, on the Discord or you know, send a ping through refuse.com slash contact. We'll get back to you. Um, so, uh, the idea again, though is that in the scriptures, as your spirit, as your voice, as your witness to yourself, as God's witness to you, because he's put it here for you, you're going to be like a tree planted by streams of water. That means you're going to bring forth your fruit in the season. It means your mouth's going to talk when you're supposed to about the right stuff about Jesus. You're going to give witness. And whatever you do will prosper. Oh, everything? Everything. My health? What do you mean your health? Do you mean, has Jesus promised you everlasting health? Because the answer is yes. Does that mean everlasting health is experienced in the present as nothing but bodily health? Well, no. That, that's not really how it works. Uh, it, it's really experienced as faith. Everlasting health is faith that my bodily health is just temporary. That my bodily decay is just a matter of this age. And while God can certainly work miracles in this age to make people live longer than they deserve to based upon whatever they did to their body, blah, 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 blah. And we can pray about it. And maybe he will. And that's great. Do it. Pray. Ask. The point is not to have this body work better. The point is to believe that this body is only a temporary walking tent on a road toward a building that's going to explode with everlasting, glorious, incarnate God light of which I am but a stone, but nonetheless rock on. Alleluia. You know, so like, like it's a whole nother level. <laughs> and, and, and to believe that about yourself in these conversations, online or otherwise, it's hard online because you're not talking to anybody. You're, you're talking to a screen, you know, and then the screen is talking to somebody else for you. You think you're talking, again, I cannot emphasize this enough. This is media ecology. You're, you type to the screen and you're talking to the screen and you're like, but I'm talking to them. And they're, well, they got something where their screen talked to them and they thought it was you. And in fact, you kind of made it happen. But that medium, that intermediary between you, the way in which the communication of language went is not like uh, voice to mouth or voice to ear in a room 
much less like, I mean, that's the best kind. This, at least you're hearing me, you get my facial features, you kind of, but this is like idolatry too. You got to stare at me while I talk at you, right? Um, so, uh, uh, oh, I lost it there with the side one now. Um, media ecology, uh, uh, the medium is what you're really talking to. So that in between the two computers, the translation of information changes in ways that we are only beginning to question and study. But what we know is that it changes the way the information travels between hearts. It just does. And so again, I think the best way to understand this is to go straight toward ancient thinking, which is any ancient person is going to look at you typing on that computer and you're like, I'm talking to my friend in blah, blah, blah land. He's like, what's blah, blah, blah land? It's a place way over there. You're talking to them, are you? It doesn't look like you're talking to anybody. It looks like you're playing some game or punching on, you know, they're, they're not going to think you're talking to anybody. And, um, even if you could convince them that the message was being sent, I still don't think they would think you were talking to anybody. They think you were like sending a message, right? But talking, not at all, <laughs> right? And so notice how, again, the removal of talking and how we talk about talking to people on the internet when we don't talk to people on the internet, we type to people, right? The language and the medium itself has so obscured the communication that it is more and more difficult to do so. Therefore, okay, it means that your local faith your local talk about Jesus, family, community, meaning church, is far more important than any attempt to make someone far away, even if you love them very much, obey your reasoning on the internet, right? That is just is so far removed from prospering in the way, which again, I think you can expect to be that in your life, no matter what health you find, no matter what success you find, you know it is prosperity, in the path toward your seeing Jesus return truly. I mean, even the Stoics can realize that the obstacle is the path, that, that suffering produces strength. I mean, it, you don't even have to be a Christian to know that, but as Christians, can't we know that then? Can, can, we, can we see that? That it's not about, that pro, if I tell you that you have prosperity in Jesus Christ, to assume it's gold and silver is like idiotic. To assume that it's confidence in the face of your enemies? Now, that's just what the Bible says. Yeah. Like a tree planted by streams of water, the ungodly are not so like chaff that the wind blows away. We'll leave them for another day and uh, and move on. Thank you so much for the question. Do we have a name for that one? Oh. It's long. It's long. It's yeah, long. We do have a name for that one. Let me see if it's I all can good. figure it out. It's all good. We can move on, too. Um, bo -bo -bo -bo. I think it was Zach. Zach. Thank you, Zach. Yes, that was from Zach. This one is from Samuel. So recently my job has been very stressful and I've always wanted to find a better job somewhere else. I work at a fast food restaurant and I'm just a crew member there. A bunch of people are leaving and decided I was going to, oh, and decided I was going to leave too. My main question is this. Is it a sin to abandon something or someone in their time of need? I feel kind of bad for leaving, but I've always really wanted to get a different job somewhere else, and I've always been planning on leaving at some point. Thanks, and God bless. All right. Is it a sin? Yes. Why? Because it's always a sin. Stop asking that question, okay? So my answer is, like, is getting married a sin? Yes. Actually, it is if you're going to go this route where everything is either sin or not sin. Well, then you're always sinning. You know, you, you can't, sin 
biblically is a word again i said this already that today is this about public manifest evil right um and we've we've taken this and we understand our sinful condition the the flesh of man uh, the original condemnation that we all deserve the evils which arise in our hearts the temptations which we face and that is rightly called sin too but then we try to talk about it as if it's something that we can stop doing and it really muddles these kinds of questions like is it a sin to do this dot 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 It's the wrong category. Are you going to murder someone when you leave? Are you going to commit adultery on the way out the door? Are you going to lie? Are you going to steal? Are you going to cheat? Then it's not a sin to quit your job. I mean, it's just, it's, what on earth could make you think that? Now, could it be wise, loving, charitable, and good to stay? Yeah, it could be. But as long as you're trapped in the, I got to get out of jail and not do the wrong things, thinking you're never going to see anybody but yourself. And so is it a sin? Just, yes, you're a sinner. How do you as a sinner make a wise decision according to the word of God about the next steps in your life? That's a better question. It's a better question. And then, so, since you've discovered as a sinner that going to a certain place that is not your father's house, but instead is a master for whom you work at a day laborer bond servitude level, but he holds no long-term contract over your head, um, since going there creates for you extreme anxiety, I would suggest to you that if you do not have to go to that job, you don't go to that job. Like, you have no duty to go and, and actually be destroyed by a bad work environment. Like, that's, you don't have to do that. You can. It might be worth it. You might learn a lot. You might gain a lot. You might serve a lot. You might see a lot of things happen. You might, in fact, be blessed beyond your wildest dreams. But really, you know what? Don't make decisions trying to game the future like that. Trust that God's going to bless the good decisions you make with the wisdom of the scriptures. And I'll, I'll tell you right now that if you're in a place where there's too much anxiety, you're just where everybody else is. It looks like the world's about to fall apart. It looks like we might all just die or at least it'll be weird and we don't know and we know they're lying to us. So the level of human anxiety is through the roof right now just across the board. You can feel it pulsing in your body, okay? Some of that is just the story they're telling us that we've been listening to way too much for way too long and they've convinced us also to try to carry way too much water for ourselves, to live lives of extreme overabundance of consumption. And that actually is creates anxiety because what happens is, you know, the more you have, the more you're afraid you might lose it. And so, you know, if you can't, if you can't get your white gummy bear rain after the, uh, after all the, the, everything falls down, you know, well, that's just one more thing to worry about today. You know, what will I do if I can't get my caffeine when, when, you know, when uh, trade shuts down, you know? Um, so the more you have, the more anxious you're going to be to keep it. And that's where then the social media inputs uh, are not really giving you anything. They're just giving you things you wish you had or could have or think you have or feel you had, which is only going to create more anxiety. Like you're trying to process way too much. You watch two hours of TV. You need like eight hours to process that. And like that's eight hours without talking to anybody. You just sit and think about what you saw and what it did to your emotions and what it did to your body. Now, we've been doing this to our bodies for decades, right? So yeah, you got some anxiety and stress. It's not just going to go away. However, again, if you are in a work environment where you find that every time you go to that work environment, like quit, just, just quit. I don't even know what's going on. Just quit. Get out of there. Maybe it's all you. Still quit. Get out of there. Get some counseling. Like, don't keep going to somewhere that's destroying you when you go there. Not if you don't have to. Not if you don't have to. Because there is such a thing as slavery, and if you're a slave, you're supposed to stay put. And so for a moment, I'm going to take us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verses 17 through uh, 20, I don't know. There's a paragraph there with 21 in it. Will you read all of that oh for me? Oh, my goodness. Hold on one second. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we're having fun here. Okay. And 
say the verses again for me. Oh, 21. First Corinthians 7, 21, 21 is the main one, but I'd like to get the context. So there's a paragraph that's yes. in the middle of, read that paragraph. But as God has distributed to each one, as the, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so ordain in all the churches. Mm, that doesn't make any sense. Um, and so, oh, that's an I. <laughs> and so I ordain in all the churches. Is that right? Was any, okay, we're going forward to verse 18. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who was who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Mm. Do not become slaves of man mm. or men. Excuse me. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like if you can't quit your job, you can't buy a house because to, to buy a house is to go into debt, which is to be a bond servant for mostly a lifetime. And, and it's sort of like how people got across the water once upon a time. If your family got across the water by being bond servitude so they can get over here and make a living in the land of the free and you're still going into bond service to buy land. That's a fascinating thing and a reason you might enjoy listening to A Brief History of Power with Two White Guys. But let's go back to the walk again. The walk which is ordained in all the churches by Paul. And it is funky language there in the New King James um, and the way they put it on the end. What it means is he's, he's saying this is like a uh, – if you're going to quibble, don't quibble right now at all. Okay, um, And that the walk which he ordains in all the churches is that contentment is first, but slavery is never except for in Christ, which again is contentment and freedom to see the other. So that line in verse 21, you know, are you a slave? Can you become free? Well, then go for it, right? But are you a slave? Can you not become free? You're still a Christian. No problem. Be a good slave. Now, this is very crazy talk to the the American zeitgeist. I'm not even going to try to explain it to them right now. Um, they got no love. If you're worried about what I'm talking about, you got no love. That's your problem. Um, so, I know you think you do. You say kindness, and then you, you yell at people about it. It's really interesting. Um, do, 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 do. So for you, where you are with your job, um, and you mentioned so the specific circumstances. I want to talk about kind of the wisdom and insight of, of what you did tell me. I don't know everything about your position, but um, you said that there's a lot of people leaving. I'm really curious why that is. Is that because everyone's quitting jobs right now because it sucks to work with a mask on? I wonder if that's what it is. And is it because unemployment's better money than most, you know, uh, people can pay on, uh, uh, you know, a standard wage, you know, uh, what do you call it? Hourly wage. I, by the way, I'm not advocating like a, a national hour, hourly wage. That just destroys stuff too. It, what you have here is a business model that cannot sustain itself. You know, fast food as it is uh, probably cannot sustain itself uh, without more robots or something um, because it needs a certain level of slave labor, right, to, to make it work. And people are increasingly not wanting to do that. At least you don't. Yeah. So, well, that's just it. Do you want to work in a slave job? And if you don't have to, you don't have to. But you're like, well, the master there, he needs helpers. He's having all his slaves run away. Huh. 
So you feel that you should help him. I mean, do you know the person personally? Do you care about his life? Uh, is this person someone you believe has potential to come to church? Is this someone who you've been praying for? I mean, uh, is, this, is this someone who also you believe in the value of and you're inspired by? But if it's just like, you know, the big corporation is having trouble making its slaves happy, and because um, of that, you know, your slave life is getting worse, and you don't need the $10 an hour to go and endure seven hours of abuse every single day from everybody who's there. Like there's nothing in the Bible that's like, yeah, you got to do that. <laughs> and quite the opposite. It, it would seem to me, this is the very definition of entertaining a fool all day long. Yeah. Uh, rather than, I mean, what I'm trying to encourage as many people as I can to is that if you've got the opportunity to just work for yourself, do it and that that's everybody who's like between the ages of 13 and 20 you got that opportunity you got that opportunity you, know, you don't have to go work for somebody else you can plan to work for yourself and you can start early by not wasting your time doing a bunch of nonsense and figure out is what is you love to do and get good at it get good at it you know don't worry about it if you make money on it uh the way the way generational thought goes and you have to have a family that wants to do this but the way the generational thought goes is you believe that whatever one's good at if they're enhanced at it you give them the tools and the skills to get great at it it'll just benefit the community in the long run god gave you those people he gave you their minds and their ideas yeah. and so for families to intentionally want to encourage their children to if you follow in the footsteps of your parents that's great but do you have to do it by earning slave labor along the way i mean didn't i do that for my kids didn't i work my way through college for my kids why do they have to work their way through college that wasn't the promise we were given <laughs> so you see me on this yeah um and and uh, so for my part again um anxiety is all over the place right now you definitely don't have to go to a job that is making you anxious if you don't have to go to that job. If you are a slave and you will default on your desk because you don't go to that job, you gotta go to that job. You know, you're supposed to. So it's, it's there are different situations. Why the question, is it a sin, is, is not a fair question, it's not a good question, it's not a wise question, it doesn't help you. What you wanna ask is, what is wise? And I'll tell you this, it is not wise to run yourself into the ground so you can no longer help yourself or anybody else. So if you're gonna run your body on high anxiety into crash into wall collapse, then you will be unable to help others. So realizing what's doing that and taking steps away from it, well, that, that's what it's at. And so I want to throw this to you a little bit, Meredith, because um, anxiety, again, stop the white noise. I mean, it, it's just it's just too much input. Huh? What do you think? Yes. You're right. I mean, okay, <laughs> I, I said you're an emotional psychologist. You, you, why I'm glad you're here on the show is because you read. You read more than I do these days. I mean, it's not fair. I read Hebrew, and that's a different kind of reading. It's very slow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you read good resources on awesome things that I think are valuable, and I'm in, I enjoy what I learn from you. And so one of the things that you have been into is uh, this idea of minimalism, mm -hmm. although you've also sort of rejected the, the real official minimalist movement, especially as um, it presents itself sometimes as a spiritual movement. Um, right. But what you've realized, I've realized uh, and agreed, is that uh, the, the environment you inhabit impacts how you feel. Right. And you can pay attention and start removing the stuff that makes it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is, is that it? I feel like that's, that's a lot of it. But you're, yeah. you're good at this and you can talk about it in ways that people understand. I just said weird stuff. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, the idea behind minimalism that I have gravitated towards is love people, not things. Mm. Um, 
And then also your home is your sanctuary. Uh, mm, that could be taken the wrong way. It can your be. home is <laughs> your home is your place where you go to retreat from the crazy around you. And so why fill it with things that bring guilt or um, remind you of trauma or that you just plain don't like? Um, the idea is you don't need to have a ton of things to create a peaceful environment for you to recuperate from what you've encountered during the week or during the day while you were away from home. Mm. And so fill your home with things you love and people um, people you love. <laughs> right, right, right. And then, and then the, the super twist is notice that on this magic screen that you love, there's a lot of things you don't love. And if you start adding up the percentages, it's like 99% don't love and 1% mm -hmm. love. And that's where your anxiety is coming from. I'm not kidding at all. Like really at the end of the day, it ain't your room yeah. is what you're watching. But your room can help for sure. Busy is not helpful. No, no, no. Right. No, no, no. Um, you said your home is your sanctuary and you're, you caught yourself. Oh, I get get in, in trouble with that. How did you envision yourself getting in trouble with that? What's the, what's the wrong idea that could mean? Well, I... I want to reserve our um, holy words for holy things. Mm. And I know that um, we, God comes to us in through his word in our home. However, we have not built our home to be set apart in a way that um, you would build a cathedral or the church. And um, it has not been blessed by... A pat well, actually, did you bless the, the house when we um, We prayed. We definitely <laughs> prayed. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, that's something that we're talking about uh, is uh, moving into homes. So I'll hold. I'm gonna note on that. Keep going. Yeah. So I just I want to be careful. I don't want to uh, cause anyone distress. I know that we have people uh, a viewership that comes from very conservative and not so conservative, and so mm -hmm. just trying to be aware of what I'm saying. Yeah. And by conservative, you're really talking about dogmatics and uh, the use of language, which uh, Lutherans can be up in arms about very quickly at times. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I heard what you said and I was like, oh, I see where she caught us. And then I started thinking about it and, and even listening to your answer then, like, well, if, if, if oh. sanctuary, if sanctuary means, go, go ahead. I, I guess I was going to say it's it's very new agey to take the words of the church and just throw them into whatever yourself yeah um you see this in yoga all the time <laughs> thank yourself for coming and it's like well you know what i could actually thank the creator for giving me another day and for allowing me to have this time so i can thank my heavenly father for that instead of myself um and so i just want to be careful yes the house is a place set apart from the world and it is a place that we receive god's gifts so can we call it our sanctuary yeah i think we can but i also um i guess i, I want to be careful that we don't think that we can just sit in our room on the computer and that equates going to church to church yeah, for sure. and receiving God's gifts there. For sure. So. Well, I definitely see that, that problem there. Um, what I'm capturing is more the other direction, I think. So yeah, if you're not going to go to church to receive the Lord's supper, you're not listening to Jesus. 
And I'm not saying on the last day he's going to say, I don't know you. But like, like, if he says, I don't know you, and you're like, why not? I took the, I took the Lord's Supper. Or you can't actually say that. <laughs> you know? So like, that's, I, and I know there are arguments out there for like over the internet, Lord's Supper, and we'll just, I'll just weigh in as I don't think that's a great idea, but you know, is what it is. Um, what I think though is, is so stunning is that I don't know how in English to ever say your home's not your, your sanctuary and, and be honest. Like you can be a Lutheran and come up with all these reasons why we can't say it. And no one's going to have any clue what you're talking about because the fact is your home is your sanctuary. It's exactly what it is. It is where you retreat from the world for peace. And to you, it is sacred above all other places. It is holy. And now if you're unholy, then it's set apartness is unholy in God's sight, but it's holy to you. And then that's just it. So you're a Christian, right? So that means it's holy in God's sight, doesn't it? That means that, that your home is indeed a sanctuary from the world and the devil, provided that you decide to believe in Jesus still at home. But then that's where you're going to eventually realize that the devil's messages on your walls are not the messages you really want on your walls, right? That if your home is going to be a sanctuary, um, if it's going to be a chapel, well, then it's got to be a chapel, right? And does that mean you set it up to, to receive 500 people? You know, No, your family lives there. You know, is your altar your table? Kind of. It's where you meet. It's where you talk. It's where you eat. Do you need a separate altar in the living room? You can have one. There's no problem with that. Crucifix on every wall is not a bad idea. Not every wall, every room is not a bad idea. Um, why? Well, because uh, holy things, holy words are what make holy people holy. And so your home is as holy as the stuff you put in it. And if you put nothing in it but the symbols of evil, well, then that's all you're going to be surrounded by. Can you be saved through that as one through the midst of the fire with all of it burning up as straw? Yeah, First Corinthians is very clear about that. You can be. Do you want to be? Is it more fun that way? Right? Is, is it more prosperity? No, you're actually losing this life. Not the part you could gain in faith, but you're, you're gaining all the nonsense of this life and losing uh, the, the peaceful walk right, of the one who follows carrying the cross. So, so I... I like the idea of remembering that your home is your sanctuary and therefore it should be adorned as such. And what you would put up within your sanctuary should in large part be what you would put up within your home. Now, it's your sanctuary, not the public sanctuary. So it's going to be different. You're going to make it yours. Um, it doesn't, it's not, a, it's not a church building, but your family's a church and the father's the priest. Priest, prophet, king, all of the above, judge, rolled into one, shepherd, servant, reflection, father, son, image of God, Jesus. And fulfilling that church is how the other church works. And the reason the other church is falling apart is because this these little churches aren't churches anymore. They're pagan temples. And then this you can go one step further. And you talked about the the voodoo, hoodoo, you do, child with the child with the power. David Bowie, uh, New Age um, thing. <laughs> wow! Somebody out there got you the reference. Me. <laughs> Somebody out there knows what I was talking about. Oh, uh, what was that? What was that movie called? I can't think. Uh, David Bowie. Oh man, I should be able to come up with it. But anyway, big old hair. Anyway, um, <laughs> child with the power. It's all like puppets and stuff too. It's really scary. It's weird. My my sister loved it. Um, it, it oh. it's like Dark Crystal and like Legend, but not either of those movies. Um. Uh, da, 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 da. Anyway, there was a reason voodoo, new age, and people talking about themselves is like, you know, thanking myself for the godness of myself and all this, right. this nonsense. And so like, well, they might use the word sanctuary, like your body is the sanctuary of your soul and, or something. But yeah. 
But don't miss the fact that your body is the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. It is the temple of Jesus Christ by the empowerment, the regeneration, the truth of his joining you vine to branch uh, tree by streams of water to bear fruit uh, that um, his Holy Spirit, by the words of regeneration, he has risen. Hallelujah. He's coming again. That this is in you as a sanctuary. And so for you to actually, again, no, your body is a sanctuary from the entire world as well wherein and when you find within your body the memorized scriptures, the truth of the word of God, and that this happens by um, eating the word of God, eating the scriptures regularly, and if you're eating other stuff and you're eating like lots of it, like gravy and like a little piece of meat scriptures, like you're not going to taste the meat. It ain't coming back out, you know, and and this is where um, the entire press has got to be toward homes, which are churches. Mm. Yeah. Not that you have home churches where we all like five families go to one family's house and that's the real church. No, 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 no. Like your family is the real church in your house mm -hmm. and that we come together as an assembly of the real church in a building that is a bigger house, right? But that's not the church in some way that we are not the church. And, uh, and, and then in that way, the home is very much the sanctuary of God and the body is very much the sanctuary of God for the Christian. Um, and so I like the language, although I completely, I mean, You'd want to be careful not to accidentally say the wrong thing. I, I'm, I'm all for that too. So thoughts? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think what you said was good and it made me think about how often when you come to your home, it it's a good thing if it's a place that reminds you of who you are mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. who yeah. you are in Christ, Amen. especially. So like you said, um, not having so much distraction and making sure that you have God's word on your walls or his, um, the, the crucifix, his symbols, his types, mm -hmm. his prototypes and his archetypes and his, uh, his stories, his identity, those identities, which give you the Christian identity. You want to see those, um, yeah. this will be pictures of your family. You know, this doesn't not include that. Um, but if it's just a bunch of people's faces on a wall, now it's not really much of anything, right? It's just now it is idols. They're just literally just pictures of faces. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good question. Let's go on to uh, number C. I'm de developing a base alphabet math system. <laughs> All right. This one says... Um... <laughs> Sorry. Base <laughs> alphabet. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pastor Fisk, I have had an ongoing wonder of why God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. Hmm. When I was young, I thought he did it out of his um, prerogative to do good. Later, I saw that God calls kingdoms that end a shame to the king of that kingdom. Although this is from memory, I can't recall a specific reference. I'm sorry, that confused me. Yeah, it confused the <laughs> frisbee too, but I think I, I can I can go through it. So just okay, keep good. I'm glad I'm not alone. And yes. <clears throat> so then. So then I thought one of the reasons he saves his creation is that he doesn't want to bring himself to shame by having his creation brought to nothing. Today I saw someone ask, what is the telelog? Teleological end. Teleological. Oh, teleological. That is a new word for me. Um, 
the teleological end of God's law. I replied in a word, love. This brought me to consider, is there, as a human person, a moral imperative in God's law to die for someone else? If so, I see a connection to creation in God's image, which would compel God, the Son, to die for us. Not a compulsion or coercion, like we might assume, but a compulsion in love. Because God is love. If the Bible is silent on this issue, I can humbly wait until heaven to ask someone there. Well, I think others have argued about this topic before and struggled with the uh, epistemology of it all, which is what you're after. Um, there's something a little too scholastic and theoretical about what you're what you're after, though, and and that's where um, you got to be a bit careful. But where your landings are a good spot in that you're understanding that. God saved us because that's what he does because that's who he is. And so he, there is no universe in which he doesn't save mankind. There's no creation in which he doesn't die on the cross to save mankind after we fall. There, there is none. There's no multiverse, no other options, no other histories, no other thing that we can compare it to. There's only the God who does this because this is what this God does. And you're right. It's because he loves us in spite of and against everything that we are that shows that we don't understand love and that we are born, bred, and die in hate and spite, he loves us anyway. Now, you ask the question, is this because of his own name that would be brought to shame if he did not love us? And so he's sort of like, that's the catch-22 I wasn't so comfortable with in your whole thing. Like, for sure, he's going to show glory rather than shame. But it's not because he's afraid of shame the way we would be. It's just because he is glory. And so, no, there will not be shame brought to his name. He will glorify his name. But it's not like he has to or else. He's not worried about it or something. Oh, well, the devil almost got there, right? So so we got to go out. When we argue these things, we, we it's like we have to defend God. And that's where the danger is of, of your, your scholasticism. You're basically trapped defending God. God's in the dock. And God should not be in the dock in any of your questions. Uh, God should be the one telling you how it is. Yeah. And so, but what God says, I am who I am. I will do what I will do. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And yeah, so he is compelled by himself. And we know as triune you know, inner counsel, eternal counsel, that that's a, a miraculous thing wherein the father can even tell the son to do something the son didn't even know about. And yet he did forever. And it's just the mystery, the mystery of God being God. What he wants us to take from that again is inner fidelity. Court of three strand cannot be broken. Certainty, conviction, the eternal we, not just selfish I. So that himself understands us <laughs> and all of this as the creator who then also redeems, um, who dies to save. So is there a moral imperative to self-sacrifice? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think you need Jesus to teach you that. I'm pretty confident that having a baby shows you there's a moral imperative to self-sacrifice in life. Because if you don't self-sacrifice for the baby, the baby will die. Just will. And then from there... Uh, you end up sacrificing more so that the baby might do well, right? And this is the definition of love. It doesn't mean you have to die that moment to make it happen, right? But you could, and people do. Um, and so, yes, there's a moral imperative to self-sacrifice in charity. That's the definition, is to deny the self and to see the other. Um, uh, but that does, I mean, God is not bound to a moral imperative. Moral imperatives exist because God does what he does, and we see it, we're like, oh, that's the moral then. God did it, it must be good. 
the definition is what God did is good. And so therefore he did it, it is good, and therefore it's an imperative for us, right? It's not the other way around that there's some sort of greater law that even God can't go against. That, that, that's the danger. And that's why I don't like the word teleological. Although it's fine. I mean, <laughs> Meredith kind of had some fun with it. Um, telos, telos in the Greek, I think uh, a lot of those who listen to me, you've, you've heard this word before, um, to telestai. Uh, it is finished. It is finished. It's the completion word of the Bible uh, for the New Testament, particularly. Uh, you come to fulfillment of something. There's another way to say fulfill too, but this is what is at fulfillment is the completion. Tell us. And so the the tell us logic that is the final words, right? If you're going to get to the very end of Christianity and what it really says, it's final words. Teleological um, is, is love, charity. Now. I'm actually going to debate that a half touch and say, no, it's actually just Jesus. Thanks for the nod. It's, it's just Jesus. Jesus is the end of God's teleology. He, he is He is all things. Now, is Jesus love? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but who, who comes first? Chicken, egg? It don't matter. Jesus made them both. There you go. Okay, so stick with God being God and God being his own end and beginning and let all the things God does to us be how he wants us to be. And I think you end up in a better place. Um, but this is, why the cross? Why the cross? The cross is not an accident. The cross is triumphing over our world by putting the public glory of man to open shame. He is, he is demonstrating that weakness with God is stronger than anything man ever does. Ever. So that by doing nothing but getting scourged and murdered, um, he rose from the dead for the first time as a guy, man, on his own. I mean, he's God too, right? That's why he did it, how he did it, but like was with the faith of a living man, not without it, by submitting himself to what God gave as a suffering, seeing the obstacle as the path, and realizing that the glory of God is in fact great in suffering because the faith which endures suffering for a future that you can't see is supremely miraculous you can't do it but he does he does in you he does you believe so like pull back from the deep musing a tad and try to find a way to ask your question with bible talk because by the time we get to i was asked for the theological end of god like like whoever you're talking to needs something other than your clear answer to his question. It's not that you don't want to give him an answer to his question, but you don't want to go at it on his playing field. He's on the wrong playing field. He's out of the Bible. Go back to the Bible. Um, the teleological end of God's love. Uh, yeah, Jesus on the cross dying. It's an act, not an idea. It's not a theory. Yeah, it's a man. It's a king. He's yours. Yay! Um, good question. You want to add on to that? Oh, I just keep thinking about Christ being the Alpha and the Omega, as you keep yeah. bringing up teleological. The Alpha and the Tau. Um, he sees more than we do, and he's not like us because he's totally trustworthy. And so the cross is the demonstration by Jesus as a man of the total trustworthiness of God. He shows that you know, trust God, and he will vindicate. And that, that's the ethic of Christianity. So if you want the ethic of Christianity, it's trust God to vindicate. And of course, this is one you can't do, but you do because he makes you, because that's what he does is he compels you with his love to trust him. Yeah? Um, but he's not compelled by that. You're compelled by his love to trust him. 
he gives you his love because that's just who he is. That's just who he is. So, cool. Let's move on. The next one says, Pastor Fisk, how do I talk about childhood traumas caused by my parents while honoring my parents? Mm-hmm. This is fun. Was that the end of it? I feel like there was another question. That's another part to it. the end oh, of it. said some more to that that, that uh, caused me to write down a whole bunch of stuff. So I would like Meredith to answer this question a little bit um, because both she and I have um, challenging uh, kind of childhoods. And uh, um, the, the question, I mean, how, I'll try to rephrase the question. How... Does one talk about the foolishness of your forebears so as not to repeat it, so as to learn from it? How does one uh, acknowledge the mistakes and errors of a forebear so as not to repeat it um, without dishonoring that person, especially if that person has never or can never come to terms with their folly? Yeah. So this is where I think the fourth commandment should maybe not be the first place you go for your ethics of how to be a Christian. Uh, I think that the New Testament lists of fruit of the Spirit, works of darkness, is a far better place to start than this uh, wonderfully clear and yet very Jewish statement about the relationship between generations in a legal system that's built upon the family. And uh, so there's wisdom in it, that we want to mine, that we want to get. But that wisdom's in the New Testament very clearly. And so, I mean, the first and foremost thing is that uh, as a Christian, you're going to talk about anything that's happened in your past, which is a matter of suffering others have done to you, as a gift from Jesus to teach you to trust in Him. And in this way, anyone who's like upset about the fact that you believe Jesus helped you learn through your experiences with them, like, maybe that's the reason there's trauma in the first place, right? And so, like, in that case, um, you're not really under the command to stop a person from dishonoring themselves. And, and this is really, I think, very key. Um, the honor one is to show a parent is the honor that you would show a person um, who visits you and is of a higher office than you. So let's say you had the mayor come to your house. I mean, how would you act? What would you do? Would you bring out the best? Yes, of course you would, right? So to honor... Uh, uh, the authority near you is to treat them with with reverence in action and behavior toward that person. And of course, you're not going to go and lie and backstab and slander their name, um, but neither are you going to go and lie about who they are to someone who asks. Why would you do that? That's lying too. You might try to avoid it. You certainly don't want to speak ill of those who are not present if you can. Um, uh, uh, oh, I feel like I had one more piece to that about the hospitality. Oh, and so, so it's, it is about hospitality in a sense. Honor is about hospitality. Um, it is about, certainly about, uh, learning to let the tongue have a limitation, uh, learning to suffer quietly and let things pass. There's all sorts of elements of that, but it's not about lying to preserve your parents' honor. So, um, the question, if I recall, asked, you know, how are my parents handling what I've talked about? And my only answer is they don't watch my show. If your kid had a show, would you watch it? So I'm not worried about it because it's not my honor. I should say it's, it's not it's not my job to 
to make them have honor. All I want to do is not dishonor them. And there's a real difference in those things. And I think a lot of good Lutherans are kind of trapped in a, a lying shame culture which has taught them to believe that they must submit to the cruelty of foolish and even unbelieving familial systems um, or congregations. And uh, that's not honorable. That's not honorable. It's not honoring anybody. It's, it's shameful all the way top to bottom. So if you live in a house in which all that is done is shame, how do you honor them? And I don't think it's by staying in it or saying that it's cool, right? So does that mean I'm going to go out and every conversation I have try to start up how I can slander my folks? No. I don't want to slander my folks. My folks are really good people. Like, if you met my folks, you think my folks are amazing. No. It was just kind of tough to grow up in that house. And, you know, that's between me and them when they want to ask. And they're not really that curious right now. So um, it's okay with me, though, right? That's okay with me. Because for my part, my desire to honor them is more about seeing where they are in their faith and trying to feed that in any way I can. And then trying not to bring shame to their actual experience of life. If someone on the far corners of the internet sees my show and decides that they think my parents are bad people, like what is that to my parents? What is that to – didn't I just tell you the internet's a big fat lie anyway? Like what is it? Who cares? Of course they misjudge. You're going to misjudge all sorts of things. So what's the answer? Not talk. It can't be not talk. It has to be let your what conversation always be seasoned with salt. I think that's how Paul says it. What's he mean, grace? <laughs> let your conversation be seasoned with grace. So as you battle trauma in the fourth commandment, let the whole thing be seasoned with grace toward all, including yourself, um, knowing that you're not going to hide someone else's folly. You can't do it. And knowing this too, here's, here's where it's a lie. This is really key. Last thing. Paul's pretty clear. Show no partiality. Show no partiality in the faith. It doesn't mean dishonor your parents and insult them. It means they don't have more of a right to be a fool in your presence than anybody else does. Huh? I want Meredith to talk because uh, and I don't know how much you want to say. You can say whatever you want to say. We both have lives of learning to handle family system dynamics that we would prefer to not pass on to our children. And we would rather pass on a Christian home environment that reflects comfort, hospitality, peace, the cross of Jesus, forgiveness. Um, not just as an idea that we talk about and then we do a bunch of other things, but as the way we try to talk. Huh? Right. This It's kind of crazy how this topic just makes my heart race already. Yeah, yeah I bet. <laughs> Um, what, so f for me, the, the biggest, um, what I like to do to start is to define my terms. So honoring, mm -hmm. um, what does this mean? Um, I, I have struggled with that for a long time and my conclusion has come close to what you had said about do I begin my conversations with people um, just 
throwing the bus on top of my parents <laughs> for all the things or do I just let it be what it is and um yeah. a a fool in the end will reveal himself like you said his folly like I don't have to broadcast what my neighbor does to me mm-hmm. eventually the world will see it of their own accord um right i mean on the on the flip side do i um do i hide what they've done well i don't know that that's really telling the truth it's impossible right it's impossible so i mean if they spread manure all over their lawn the passers-by are gonna smell it i don't have to point it out i don't have to post signs (laughs) you know i can just let it be that's good um so oftentimes but do you have to walk in it no you can totally avoid their lawn (laughs) stay off the grass right right? um so oftentimes for my own part in how do i talk about childhood traumas well what is the scenario that i'm talking about it in if it is an intimate relationship my husband I can be as open and honest with my husband as possible because like you had mentioned, the home that we are trying to build is one where you can fumble through your words and say the wrong thing and then correct it. That's That's the goal is that this home, this refuge from the world is a place where you can let your hair down and be who you are Mm -hmm. without worrying about, um, correction or, I mean, correction in the, in in the moment. Um, oh, now I'm fumbling. So I'm going to jump in and say without interruptive correction, which is my bad habit. And one of the habits of my home life that I'm attempting to leave behind. And for me to say that should not dishonor anyone other than, I mean, if anything, it's honor. So, if my son figures out that I've been doing something wrong in Jesus' name and repents, he doesn't dishonor me, no matter what I think. What's honor and what's glory again? The words glory, I looked it up while you are talking. The words glory in the Bible, glorify your parents. Same word, God's glory. Okay, um, It means to put the name in lights. It means to lift them up high. It means to recognize the position, and particularly then as a child, in a code system of life and family, yeah, when you're in your parents' house, you probably shouldn't try to shame them to your fa- their faces. I mean, it's just not going to go well. That's going to go really badly. And that's the command. That's the command, right? And from there, then we can see that the parents are given to us as gifts and strive to call that what it is as often as you can. Kuntz on the show on Refuse Your Power has been um, con- continually emphasizing how thankful he is to his ancestors for surviving. Mm. And it's only as I've recognized that we might have to try in the next generation to survive that I've realized, like, what that meant to everybody before the last generation. Like, the last generation didn't really have to try to survive very hard. They just kind of assumed it's going to go. And now we all assume it's going to go. But, like, before that, a lot of the world's on survival. And to be grateful, to glorify the fact that your parents came through, my parents came through, our parents came through, whatever they came through and lived and had a child and fed the child and raised it forget the emotional side of it um that's a that's a great gift and and should be seen with all due honor um, but then 
to say that there was something in that home that was evil and I repent of it, I mean, how does that dishonor anybody except the person who wants to hold on to it? And then that's them, not me at that point. Yeah. So what what can we thank God for? Um, just before we start dwelling on it and talking about it, mm. meditating upon what how God has blessed you through this mm-hmm. um, trauma, mm-hmm. what kind of strengths and um, faith you've been given mm-hmm. through it, your... Uh, God promises us that through his discipline, through affliction, we will be um, strengthened in our faith. It will be brought, we will be brought closer to him. So going into conversations with that mindset helps to have our words be more seasoned with salt, like you were saying. I'm looking for Psalm 119 where it says, it is good that I have been afflicted, but I can't find that one. 1975. That's 75. Um, I know, Jesus Christ, that your judgments are right, and then in faithfulness you have afflicted me. I think there's a, it is good as well. There's a bunch of it. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Um, 119 is filled with great stuff, but the idea of affliction being a torment that God allows the devils to press upon you Sometimes ongoing, thorn in the flesh, for the sake of your faith, is the way to look at all this trauma and say, oh, so whatever it feels like, I'm supposed to learn that my feelings aren't forever, but that Jesus is, and that this feeling will pass on the day of judgment, if not momentarily sooner. Oh, Jesus is with me. The whole thing, the whole thing is so you can't forget in an age where it's very easy to forget. It's very easy to forget right now. You got a trauma and you're still listening to Jesus? (laughs) Oh, praise Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> you know, he, he let you fall so he could raise you up um, and all this. Want to go on to E? You got more to say. You're welcome to say more. It's, a, it's an endless topic. Oh, it is. And it's something that when we speak about it, just knowing that um, speaking truth as much as possible rather than emotion is probably a good idea. Yeah. And yeah. why are you having to speak about it? Are you speaking to a therapist? Mm-hmm. Be Mm -hmm. open. Mm -hmm. Be real. Mm -hmm. This is your opportunity. Are you speaking to a spouse? Be open. Mm -hmm. Be truthful. Speaking to children is harder. Yeah. Because that hurts their hearts too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And how they come to terms with it and they don't get to see all of it. And yeah. Yeah. And then are you speaking to a friend who needs your counsel as they battle something similar? Well, you don't have to be specific about who did what to you. You can just say, I've experienced similar things. Yeah. And yeah. then speak from your experience without, um, like I said earlier, throwing people under the bus. So no partiality. I mean, judgment day is coming and it's all going to be seen. So the goal is not to hide our parents' sins so that they never repent of it. Um, the goal is not to pretend that our parents are perfect to their face. Like that's, that's not what this commandment means, but I think that's how we use it. That's, that's bad. So I don't know that I have like, again, the perfect answer, but I'm pretty sure that we have overloaded partiality into the fourth commandment in ways that are harming lots of people. And that what you want is an honest keeping of the fourth commandment a truth telling that does not get thrown away by authority so what the authorities are trying to do right now is make you a liar put the mask over your eyes literally 
And then just from your own reading that you've done on CPTSD, stay away from the words never and always. Oh, for sure. Never say never. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think that's all I have to say. Yeah, nevers and always are a sign that you are in an emotional state that you have not reached enough psychological maturity to realize will pass. And so you are attributing the emotional power to whatever you're talking about, which usually is an intellectually real thing, but you say always instead of like just without the word always, and suddenly it's it's uh, exurb acerbic to whoever you're talking to. Um, uh, and it's largely again because you're emotionally involved in it, you don't realize it. So by changing the language, you can begin sending less messages even while you're still struggling with the emotional involvement you may have in in the conversation so yeah woohoo and all that okay this is a longer one hi pastor i have a two-part question thank you so how do you want to do this do you want to discuss part one first or do you want me to just throw part one and part two at, a, at uh, you and then... just read it <laughs> all right part one while trying to memorize Psalm 29, it struck me that this psalm might be walking through the days of creation. Could this be accurate? I have not found any modern scholars who think so. But I noticed there are six times it repeats the phrase, the voice of the Lord, which seem to mostly match the six days of creation. Some actions of the voice of the Lord line up very well, but for others like breaks the cedars, for the third time, it seems too destructive rather than constructive to be about creation. But if it was parallel to the days of creation, then there would be a deeper takeaway, I think, along the lines of the God who caused all this to break forth is the God who reigns still for the good of his people. And the next part. Okay, so that was part one. Yeah, and he's going to get into a question about Hebrew, which is fascinating. Okay, part two says, I looked at the Hebrew word for breaks, shabar, in verse nine and saw that it could have a sense of brings to birth. I asked an LCMS Hebrew scholar and he said that while shabar has a birthing sense in Isaiah 66 verse nine, we can't translate it that way in Psalm 29 because the word is a basic verb form rather than a casual verb form. He thus doesn't think there is any creation reference in Psalm 29, except for reference to the waters at the beginning and end. And the verse about skipping like a calf or deer giving birth are thus more about fear and terror than about rejuvenation or life bringing. Um, TLSB notes also intimate as much as much. So, okay. So oh, intimate. Uh, the only thing I'm confused by is it said verse nine and I think the word breaks is in verse five. And so that threw me off there. What did it say? Um, the, the word was Shavar. Shavar. And it's here as Shavir, which is a call participle, partic participle. Interesting. So, uh, so I never actually finished reading it. Oh, keep going. You want me? <laughs> this answer struck me as unsatisfying. Surely we don't know enough about the ancient language to make that rigid a call. It would seem to work pretty well with a creation structure if the creative sense was also there. Brian. All right, Brian. Thanks for the question. Um, we know enough about the Masoretic 
understanding of the ancient language to make the call that the Masoretes who put the vowel pointing in there, which is how the scholar is telling you you're wrong, the Masoretes are with the scholar on the view of this text. Okay, so does that mean that the view of this text is correct as the Masoretes tradition is handed it down? That's from 800 AD um, that we have this, and so it, there's a good chance the vowel pointing can be confused and or twisted by things like the Targum. Um, and so uh, it, it's just not that easy, which is your point. And, I, and I'm with you on this, although the scholar may be right on the actual point, but I'm with you on this. Like he's like, well, the word could mean this here because it means this here. And it's the exact same form, but the vowels are different. And so since the vowels are different, therefore it can't be. That, we can't do that. The, the consonants predate the vowels. And they're not a perfect text either, by all means, but they're they're better than just the vowel text. And uh, to be able to see that, in the same way you use the textual apparatus in Greek, if you know what that is, to understand that a word might have a letter drop out here and there, um, to understand that those those dots in the vowel pointing, and while the Masoretes were very into keeping whatever they got by 800, it was a long time to get to that point, and who knows whether it's a participle or not. Now, I don't know that I'm with you on the creative agenda. In, in the psalm, okay? But I'm definitely with you in, I don't like how um, LCMS scholarship, particularly on Hebrew, has gotten so rigid that we can't think the Masoretes maybe made a mistake, ever. And we, we just, we treat it like it's it's the actual scriptures. And, and I think that's a mistake, right? I think you need to be able to believe that uh, the text will cling together as a whole and not have to import on it the interpretation of Jews from the 8th century. Um, if you don't have to, especially if the rest of the text, if the rest of the continents work out with the grammar you're looking at, and it's just the pointing that's off. And if you don't know what I meant, what I meant then yeah, you got to study Hebrew to know what I meant. Um, but now, I'm not convinced that this is a creative thing, although I think your noticing of the seven is important, but it's it's pretty evident that the Lord sits at the flood, right? That Jesus is is king of the flood. And so it would seem to me the voice of Jesus Christ over the waters certainly is connected to the waters of Genesis 1, but the whole story is about the waters of Genesis 6 through 6 through 8, right? Um, and so this is where, you know, the cedars of Lebanon and the glory of the thunder, you think about the cataclysm that was the flood, uh, that everything is, is broken and destroyed, the wilderness is shaken, you know, the mountains are skipping and moving, right? Um, uh, that's that idea uh, that he has... Uh, the ability to curse the earth for the good of his people, basically. That would be the way to say that. And so we rejoice in the flood. The world tries to stop it. The world tries to hide under the mountains and say, you know, fall on us. We say, come, Jesus, come. Now bring it. Uh, and so I, th I think that's more what this is about. And then shouting, I mean, give to Jesus, you mighty ones, glory and strength. You're actually, <laughs> this is one of those places where, like, is this a prayer to the angels? I mean, think about it. Think about it. What do you do? Verse 1. Give unto Jesus Christ, O you mighty ones, give unto Jesus Christ glory and strength. What that says is, hey, y'all angels, I'm talking to you. It's not prayer. I'm just talking to the angels about how all you angels ought to do something to God because I said so, right? Now, it's not prayer, um, but it's a declaration that the angels can hear. And what are you declaring? You're saying, hey, angels, will you praise Jesus? Why? Because even the flood is used for the good of mankind. Because every bit of destruction, every cross, every end is the beginning of the resurrection that Jesus brings. Yeah, And so I think that's more what's going on here. 
And then, uh, so the voice of the Lord breaking the cedars of Lebanon, it connected to splintering the cedars in verse 5. That's where I saw that word, and that seems to be, you have a parallelism going there. Um, so without looking, I'd, I'd say that's probably right. The fact that they're going to skip like a calf and like a wild ox, this is, and the, the dividing of flames of fire, all of this is very destructive, right, and, as opposed to creative. But you are right in recognizing that the flood brings a new world. Right, that God's destruction always brings a new creation, and so the Lord sits enthroned on this thing to give strength to us. So I'm with you on. We should certainly be free to uh, not assume that just because a grammarian tells us the pointing says this, um, that we're, our our understanding that nuances it is all wrong. Um, but I'm going to disagree with your understanding of that nuance here anyway. Right. Um, that said, like, you're not going to go to hell because you thought this was about creation and you got excited about it and you prayed every day is about creation and you think it points to Jesus that way. Like, there's no condemnation for that. And that's where, again, like, for the scholar to say you can't, this is, this is why no one wants to talk to scholars. I'll leave it at that. Like, uh, you have to have a little more freedom to learn. <laughs> and uh, and Hebrew, uh, your point, again, we, did, we don't know enough about it to declare that the Masoretes knew everything and that they're right, therefore. And especially when you find, say, the Septuagint has a disagreement with the Masoretic text, that's a really interesting thing. What happens there when the Greeks who translated it 1,300 years prior, uh, when they have a different understanding of it? So that's kind of a tangent question, and I'm going to cough. <coughs> Are we ready to move on? Absolutely. All right, Pastor Fisk, first, let me thank you for your ministry. What a blessing during these times. My wife um, and I are more at peace today than we have been in 65 years because of yours and others' direction to the word. I have a question about an answer you gave last week on SMC. Specifically, one about the woman's daughter and her lover. If I heard you correctly, you said the daughter is clearly a pagan, mm. non-Christian, not saved. So to, to interject real quick, um, Frisbee reminded me on this and she'd gone and checked it. Uh, I gave that as an option, but I gave multiple options for what could be going on. And certainly that was an option. So go on. Um, my question is this. If she was baptized and is now living in sin, deceived by herself, this boy the world, or Satan, does the Lord take his Holy Spirit from her and she dies in her sins? Maybe. I struggle to know the answer to this as I have Christian friends who have children who live in homosexuality. They and the children claim they are saved, baptized, and attend a church that does not condemn this sin. Since it is not confessed and repented of, is it unforgiven and they will die in their sins? Also, the parents... Aren't they also unrepentant and guilty? We often sin and do not know it. I have often thought that if we are defiant in our sins is one thing. Ignorance or being deceived as a Christian is another. Maybe that is wrong thinking and trying to use reason. I guess ignorance of the law is no excuse. Or is it a case of the teacher misleading a student and the punishment for the teacher being more severe. Millstone. All the above. Thank you for the help sorting this out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I'm going to tell a parable about cloth. And, uh, you know, once upon a time there was an island with these sneeches on it. 
And there came along a man who said to these sneeches, I've got a machine that'll put a special cloth on your face that will keep you from bad stuff. And uh, a bunch of them joined on and started doing that. And a bunch of them started testing what these magical star belly cloths were doing. And, and they realized that they weren't doing anything at all. But nonetheless, some of the, them decided that they would go ahead and, and walk along with, uh, with the, the game. The game. Uh, and as they walked along with the game, what happened was they realized that more and more these pieces of cloth weren't covering mouths, they were covering eyes. It had nothing to do with what went in and out of the mouth. It had everything to do with what goes in and out of the eyes. And so what happened was not so much that the piece of cloth was anything, but that their relationship with the cloth destroyed and changed their relationship with others. And that's a story about Starbucks sneezes, sneezes, right? You can go get that one from Dr. Seuss or something. Now, um, when a Christian decides to say that something that the Bible calls a work of darkness is a work of light. Does that mean they've sinned, they're going to go to hell right now if they die? Who's the author of death? I mean, if they die. Who's going to kill them? So that they would go to hell. That'll be Jesus. So, um, the slippery slope problem is that once you start saying, I can love Jesus, but this part of the Bible, I don't have to believe. You have decided to not trust Jesus in some measure. And there is no telling where that will stop, except for Judgment Day. And you can find out then, and I'm not sure. And so, why on earth would that be your proud position to stand on? Ooh, pride does have something to do with a lot of this, doesn't it now? Um, so... I think to kind of go back to your, to really answer your question, um, I want to take us to Galatians chapter 5, uh, which I'll be preaching on this weekend pretty strongly in the, the longer episode tomorrow morning. Um, but Meredith, do you think you can find the, um, if you go to the... I will give it my best. You go to it and you go into the search at the top and just tap Galatians 5. Yep. And do la comment. Ta top Galatians 5 kitty the um yeah terrible memory of my life uh i gotta find galatians 5 why are we going to galatians 5 because in galatians 5 paul is very very emphatic about something and, and the fact that he's emphatic about it at this time is also important because he's just spent the whole book telling you how you're not going to save yourself by what you do how if you think you're going to save yourself by what you do you're an idiot you're actually damned you aren't saved no, you really, you think you're going to, you're not. That's like the whole book up to this point. And then in chapter five, he's like, so what this means is we're going to be people who love being good rather than people who have to be good. And because we're people who love being good, it means that evil is obvious. Now it's always been obvious. Everyone knows, but we like to tell ourselves stories to convince ourselves it's not so bad. And so he just lists it. Verse 19, I believe, is where it starts here. Now, he tells you how you won't fulfill these lusts, but he, he lists the works of the flesh, beginning in verse 19. The works of the flesh. Now, understand flesh to be you. You, the sinner, your body and soul's visceral sinful experience. The wretched heart, mind, 
of you that lies to you, that accuses you, that voice you can't get to shut up that is you, the one that you actually are going to be glad that at the end of time doesn't come with you to paradise, that flesh has certain things it prefers. It has a direction it wants to go. And that is evident, he said. Evident. In fact, he says that the word is, is, is that you can see them. You can see them. They're before your eyes. This is not a matter of the heart. So what's most important here is everything in chapter 5 has nothing to do with your heart or your feelings on the inside. It has everything to do with what comes out of your body in the public assembly. And now the list here, uh, I'm not ready for it. The list is not really great in English. I've been working on it for a couple of days. Um, because it, it, some of it's fine and some of it's, it's really, really different. So for example, what's the first one there? Adultery. Adultery. Okay. So that just sounds like, like specifically divorce, right? Or, or uh, being married and having sex with someone who you're not married to. And that that's adultery. And that tends to be the way that word means something. But so pornography would not be adultery. Not technically. Um, not this, it would be pornography. It's a different thing. Okay. So the Greek word here is pornea, which means all forms of sexual unnatural behavior outside of marriage, other anyways, you know, masturbation, homosexuality, pornography, bestiality, um, uh, cohabitation before marriage, uh, polyamory, all of it, pornea. And that's what we have put adultery in for? <clears throat> and it's translated as the word adultery, okay? It's all of it, all sexual license, all using of your body's sexual desire for the sake of your own pleasure and nothing but. Okay, so... That's the first evident work of darkness. There's a whole bunch more here. Um, the next one is translated as fornication. Uh, that's really a terrible translation. Akatharissa is a, 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 a kind of a taboo word. So the reason that a Jew will not touch a leper is because a leper is akatharissa. Okay, they're, they're unclean is the word. It's uncleanness. And it means particularly though like a ritual uncleanness. Okay, so... Long and short, this means not being crass. It means not walking into a church wherein people are reverent and being irreverent. It means sort of understanding the niceties of what's around you on a religious and moral and cultural level um, uh, and seeking that which is indeed clean versus that which is unclean because there is such a thing as clean and unclean, right? So th it is evident that one can become unclean um, uh, physically. So the next word is a, is a bit of a tougher one. Uh, it gets translated as uncleanness. Uh, it's aselgeia, which actually means like weakness. It means like weakness, like as opposed to strength, kind of like apathy or someone who just can't really um, bring themselves to do something, right? Now, I think there's 15 different ideas listed here, and I think they group into five groups of three that have kind of connection points. So we just went through three of them, pornea, akatharissa, and aselgeia, and I think they connect to each other. Uh, that sexual license, that uh, being around unclean inputs, uh, and that apathy or the weakness of the soul all get tied together. Okay, so the idea here is if you're going to go off and watch porn, it's going to suck your willpower out your ear. Yeah. Um, the next one is, uh, now, hmm. now I'm worried about my translation here because I do have an extra word in. Maybe the fornication is the one in adultery. It's got a footnote here. Oh, the NU text admits adultery. So it's fornication that's the pornea. And adultery is not in the Greek that I was looking at. So that's what's going on there. So fornication is adultery. Uncleanness, there it is. Akatharissa. Um, and then lewdness, that's aselgeia. It's like weakness. It's weakness. Or the kind of weakness. Mm, I told you this story once about the girl at the party who was so drunk that she was just taken in the room by the guys, right? That kind of thing. 
It isn't that she's going to have sex, it's that she can't say no because she's so weak. And it's not drunkenness, that's coming later. It's just, the you just can't say no to those who press you into license, effectively. Um, you're led by the crowd too much. Then you have idolatria, which, by the way, now we have two of the four listed in Acts chapter 15. Pornea and idolatria are the four thing, uh, two of the four we're listed to avoid there. Um, idolatry we could spend a lot of time on. Um, I'm not going to. This is what the sermon will be about. I want to get to pharmakeia, because the next one, so you have idolatry, you have sorcery there. Greek, pharmakeia, pharmaceutical. Look at it. Um, don't ignore it. Uh, uh, the list is going to go on. I'm going to talk more about it in the sermon. Uh, hopefully by then I, I have... Uh, <laughs> a more astute way to navigate these. Why did I go here? For the first word, for your question. The works of darkness are evident, okay? Pornea, the destruction of marriage, is one of them. And so if a Christian is going to do that, whatever it is, without conscience, okay? So there's all sorts of you out there who watch this show probably, who like last night watched porn and now you're like, oh, I'm going to go to hell. I'm so weak. I can't get over it. You know, you know what? That's a good feeling, but you're wrong. You're forgiven and you're not going to do it again. So stop, stand up, be a man, turn it off next time. You're not who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the one who doesn't care. I'm talking to the one who just does it and says it's right. And Paul says, let's get to the bottom of that verse. What is it? Uh, the rest at the end of verse 21. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's an interesting thing. I'm pretty sure the fruit of the Spirit that comes next is the kingdom of God. Love, joy, peace, patience. So what is it really saying here? It's saying that if you're going to go off and live in pornea, you're not going to have love. You're not going to have joy. You're not going to have peace. You're not going to have patience. You're not going to have kindness. You're not going to have goodness. You're not going to have gentleness. You're not going to have faithfulness. You're not going to have self-control in your life. Because that's the kingdom of God we inherit as Christians. And you're not going to inherit that. You're going to inherit the ways of the world. It's going to continue all these other things. Wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, drunkenness, revelry. That's the life you're going to live. And my guess is that's the life those friends of yours are living. Not on Sunday morning. Just the rest of the week. Now maybe they're not. Maybe it's just homosexuality. It's the only thing they've changed. The works of darkness are evident. It's not about homosexuality. It's about pornea. It's about what we are as bodies, what we think those bodies are for. And pornea is just one gleaming example of the selfishness of our flesh, that we would take something God gives for others to comfort another and to bring forth another from the other together to form greater comfort. We take that and we make it just about me and my pleasure. And, you know? So to say that and to not be a Christian, well, that's normal. And I got no problem other than that God says, you know, hell's coming. Um, to say that as a Christian, it's like, well, then I'm going to question your Christianity a little bit here. Why? I mean, it's not about me. I would prefer you not to get to Judgment Day and be like, God, I can't wait to bring all this pornea with me into heaven and have God be like, you know, you're lying to yourself, man. Yeah, so th that's it. That's it right there. That's all I got on that one. Ah, it makes me sad, though. Romans 6, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Golly. You got a thought, Meredith? Um, can you just summarize your answer then really quick? I don't know. I don't so know. So the question is that their friends have children who live in homosexuality mm -hmm. and claim they are saved. Mm -hmm. 
And so you're saying Judgment Day says tread that Tread lightly, friend. Judgment says that said that I mean, the Bible says that the works of the flesh are evident, of which porneia is one, and that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, that that's what it is to be Christ. To crucify the flesh with its passions and desires, the things your body wants to do that it shouldn't do because they're wrong. And so if you live by the Spirit, you'll walk by the Spirit, and, and you won't do those things that provoke each other and make us all envious and conceited, which, you know, generally sexual license just is in that direction. And, of course, homosexuality is just one, one deep-edged corner of sexual license. So if you're upset about me talking about homosexuality, I mean, I'm not. I'm talking about sexual license. Come on. And, and, and like, so, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're going to do that, then you are— doing it with the Bible telling you that you're not going to go to heaven. And that's your choice. That's not my opinion. That's the fact that you're choosing to do things the Bible says you can't do and trust in Jesus. So, look, does that mean that every person who falls into adultery while still going to church is going to hell on the last day? No, we live in time. The whole reason these things are being said is so we repent. It's if you hear it and get mad and walk away that you're confirming yourself and your guilt. You wouldn't have even been guilty to some extent if not someone coming to tell it to you. And this is important. And Paul's very clear, Romans 1 and 2. Uh, yes, pagans become a law to themselves. And so once a person's not a Christian anymore, it is the law that they make with their own mouth that will condemn them on the last day. They will be justly held to account by their own words and their own measure. Christians believe that the measure is all grace. And so we should all know about it and then realize that some of our words aren't helping anymore. Some of our actions are really causing problems and try just to hold tight, not act on it until he comes back. That's the actual victorious life. It doesn't feel good. It feels um, overcoming, though. It means you fight back. And so what do you say to Christians who are like, we don't have to fight back? I say, have fun with that one. See you later. Golly, I'm going to live in a different house. Next one's supposed to be connected to that a little bit, right? All right. The next one says, Pastor Fisk, thank you for taking the time to answer my questions in the past. I have been taking your advice, praying the Psalms and the Sons of Solomon Psalms daily. I also have a weekly scheduled meeting with my pastor via Zoom currently, where I confess my struggles with lust and receive absolution. I have since this had... Mm, I have since this has started abstained from acting out, although the desire is still there. Of course it is. However, there is still this deep sadness and anxiety that won't leave, a grievance for sins past. I know we can forfeit our sins by willingly rejecting forgiveness, but when it comes to despair, it seems I have no control over this. It is not high-handed. I don't want to I don't want the despair or the anxiety over forgiveness, but I fear that my despair will lead me away from Christ and I am powerless to stop it and nothing I do seems to work. You are not powerless in helping it to be saved by Jesus. Okay? You just you made a category shift. You are not powerless for Jesus to save you. Okay? You're not powerless as you are led away from Jesus saving you. Jesus saves you. You have the power to say no to your flesh. This is such an important thing. Does it mean you always have? No. Does it mean you're perfect at it? No. But does it mean you can now? Yes. You can say no to yourself. It's called self-control. Okay. So I'm going to say a couple different things. And some of it's it's just from my own walk. So you know you don't have to hit it the way I hit it. But it was really helpful for me when I realized that my own depression, my own despair, my own flare of emotion, my own version of feeling bad, and I have it lots of different ways. 
when I realized that letting it torment me was such a grand waste of time. So here I am and something happened and I feel a pressure of, I mean, this is the way my flashback story is just, it's just so powerful. It just hurts so much. I don't even know why. It's like my eyes are bulging. And my habit is like to like dwell on it. Why is this? I got to fix this. Why is it? And finally, you know, through the work with the, the Walker book and everything, oh, I got to cry about some things. I got to face some things. And, you know, I spent, I spent a couple of weeks there. Like every day I'm like crying in the morning. Like I get up and I would just cry. But I hit a day. Or it wasn't that I never have to cry again. But it, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like how long am I going to do this? Despair is a story your body is telling you that your mind and heart don't have to believe, even though it's the most visceral, real experience you have. But you, you literally are free to game up on and over your own bodily experience and call it the lie that it is. So this is you need to tell yourself, the despair is a lie. Are you still going to feel it? Yup. Doesn't mean you won't feel it, but your mind is stronger than it, and over time... Believing that, saying that day in, day out, as you're working with some Solomon stuff, right? Getting in those Psalms. Trust this. Over time, you get to believe in your integrity as a person before Jesus. Because that's what the Psalms tell you you are. You get to stand on that. You get to know that your affliction, which is your despair, is not godless. It is not what will drive you away. It is the devil attacking you because you're strong. And God's allowing it because you're going to get stronger still. But that strength is not going to be the fixing of your emotions. That strength is you're going to be stronger than your emotions. Able to acknowledge your emotions are basically chemical reactions taking place in your corpus, in your body. 85% due to environmental factors. And so for that reason, like really untrustworthy when compared to the Word of God and your baptism. Yeah. And so that's part one. Part two, you're alone, but you're not. But why are you despairing? Because you feel alone. Despair is a lack of support. Despair is a lack of comfort. What's missing right now in our society? American zeitgeist, what's missing that should be giving more support and more comfort? Two things, moms. And bros. We got a shortage of moms and bros. We got a lot, a lot of working ladies who are moms. But in terms of like mom and comfort, let me suggest the more you're working, the less you're able to give attention to comforting your kids. And even though they're going to tell you it's enough, they only got so much time. Uh, check out uh, the tail end. Google that. The tail end, wait but why? The tail end, wait by why? You won't be disappointed if you if you followed that one, moms. Um, the uh, bros, <laughs> well, that's what they did to us with the TV. Right, so that's why you got to turn it off. Go find a brother nearby you. And uh, I guarantee you, uh, do we have a name for this guy? No. Okay. Um, there is, in your church, two other guys that are supposed to be your friends. Two. You and them, two, together. A triad, three. You're supposed to be friends who get together once a month to talk about how you're not going to give in to this stuff because the Bible's more true than this stuff. And you're missing that in your life. You don't have it yet. You need it. Yeah, you need neighbors that are Christians. You need a couple guys, a triad's a nice set to start with, who are going to give each other support and accountability as brothers in the fight. 
And if you're trying to fight this war all alone, out in the field by yourself, yeah, you're going to get despairing about it. And again, does that mean you have to give in and believe that despair is true? No, the power of the words of Jesus is enough that you can walk through every dark shadow. But with that being true, you don't have to walk alone because there are brothers in the church and you're like, well, how do I begin? I just tell you right now, ask Jesus for your two brothers to show up at your church so you guys can begin supporting each other so you can get out of the despair and start helping others the same way with the good news of being a son of God in Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Can I get an alleluia? I hope so. Yeah. Um, Grief. Grief for old sin though. I mean, it is there. You're going to have to grieve loss. That's fine. Do not grieve as those who have no hope. That is not to say do not grieve. It is when you grieve then return to the pure font that tells you about how the grief passes into an age in which there is no grief, which is the one yet to come and that Christ has already achieved that. Um, ah, I want to hat tip the confessional accountability. So the, the way I see the, the confessing of sins for this particular sin uh, is uh, is really super valuable. It, it is kind of the 12-step the program's first start within Christianity. There's no 12 steps. There's go to your pastor, get level with what you've done in the past that's on your heart, get it out, be forgiven, and then get to your two other guys to walk together, right? Um, so that Because every week is awesome. Every week is awesome. You keep doing it as long as you do it, and I'll tell every single one of my members, I will, I will give you confession absolution as often as you want it, for as long as you want it. We'll talk as long as you want it. No pastor can give private confession and absolution to every member every week in a congregation of 100 people. This can't be done, right? So you have to grow to believe that your private accountability with your pastor is like the shot in the arm. It's your booster, <laughs> it's your booster shot <laughs> from Jesus. Um, it's, it's, um, it's your shot in the arm to kind of give you the, the real hit. But then your relationship with your bros at the church who also believe this stuff is what keeps you from needing so many booster shots, <laughs> you know? Uh, it'll keep you walking with accountability wherein you do feel like you walk in your integrity. Uh, and you don't have to go to the pastor and be like, yeah, I really did it again. Yeah. So um, that's that's the path. That's the path. And you're on it. You're on it. Remember, the despair is a lie. Find those brothers. I realize the church is supposed to come for you. That's the mother that we all need. Um, and then, uh, yeah, don't, don't feel ashamed about grieving. I mean, I it was months. I took months to stop and cry. I'm probably not done yet, but I also got to a point where I was just tired of letting it tell me what to do. And, uh, and then believing that even though I feel awful, the air going in and the electricity up here and what this says is true is enough for me to tell my feeling awful to sit down and my body to get up and go work on being what I'd rather be. So that even though I don't feel what I want you to see, you're gonna see what will make you feel good. That's denying the flesh and seeking to love the other. And I think we all can, not can, we all must try. And the Spirit promises we will succeed with thorns and thistles all the way, pressing on toward the goal, not as one who's ever achieved it, for Pete's sake, lest someone accuse me. <laughs> Giving you guys hope. <laughs> so anyway, um, we got one more question here. We're, we're right at the 11 o'clock hour, a little bit past, but I really want to give us some time that, so I imagine we'll go a little while, because this question is going to be about food, medicine, organic food, or abortifacient pharmaceuticals, and all sorts of fun stuff that could get us booted from YouTube. We'll see. They're, they're fun these days. We will speak carefully. Dear Pastor Fisk and Meredith, 
I'm seeking first article guidance on food and medicine for myself and my children on food. I need a drink of water because my voice is going away. It happens. It happens. So, yeah. And I will talk about it. Oh, I could rap. Let me rap. I'm going to (laughs) rap. Meredith picked up her bottle, put her foot on the throttle. (laughs) Said, let's go and skedaddle. Pick up my baby's rattle. Talking about the show. Time to let the rapping go. I don't know if that helped. Okay. Are you, wait, are you kidding no, your me? your rap are, helped. Your rap <laughs> was the medicine I needed. She I was talking the about water the water. I knew, I knew you were talking about the water, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> mm. All right. Besides being aware, saturated fats are healthy and over-carbing is not. Should I go for organic foods for my three-year-old and one-year-old sons? <clears throat> all right. All right. So the main question is about organic. Right. So GMO, non-GMO, what's our view on that? Um, We can certainly mention a little bit about fat and carbs. So currently neither of us are nutritionists. Both of us are people who have learned that uh, the advice we were given in the medical community about dealing with our personal body issues uh, was largely flawed, both in terms of medical treatment and nutritional lack of nutrition and discovering that saturated fats are indeed good for you uh, when not combined with sugars uh, was illuminating, to be sure. So to say something about that before going on, I think it's good. Sure. She continues, though, to say, like, she wants to know about organic foods because Mm -hmm. our over-pesticides and, like, should she be more concerned about pesticides? Right. So, again... the big uh, each of these topics i want you to say something about what do you think about pesticides what do you think about gmos what do you think about organic what do you think about carbon fat recognizing this at the start and i think you can say something about this too our point of view has been that we've learned as much as we can about everything and can tell you what the science is as far as we know it on these things that doesn't mean we've applied it with a perfect stringe a syringe or a str- i liked it stringe stringe we've applied it with a perfect stringe what does that even mean it doesn't. Syringe. What do you? What do you? A strainer. We've got a we uh, a filter. We we by no means like look. GMO and pesticides are bad for you. We know that. You know we got nitrous in our water. Probably nothing we can do. We're surrounded by farms. So like, all you can do is mitigate. I guess is really what I'm saying. It's all of this advice is about mitigation and small steps. It's not about um you know uh, I don't think you can only shop organic. I good luck. Yeah, I I don't know that you. You can grow it yourself. You should, you know? yeah. I think you try growing, but like um, taking steps towards cultivating your own garden might be a good option um, for multiple reasons. Right. Um, you get to know what is in the soil and what's on the plants. You also get to uh, eat what's in season, and that's kind of important for our bodies as well. Having apples in April is not necessarily the best choice normal not normal right well and where have those apples been since september october um they've been somehow chemically preserved Mm -hmm. in a cold cellar (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i don't know how i don't know how they do that how do they no but you're supposed to wash it before you eat it they tell you that so that (laughs) Those little things kind of are eye-opening when you find find out, oh, yeah, apples are not 
accessible all year round. But th th this is also where, like, the more information you find, the more you will be unable to perfectly navigate a a health reality. Exactly. So he, let's go back to the meat for a moment. So we just we believe that saturated fats are good for you, that carbs are not good for you except in small doses, um, and if we ate the way the seasons produced it, it wouldn't have many problems with it, but we don't eat the way the season produces it, so we're having way more carbs than are, are normal for human production. And meanwhile, kings ate the fatted calf when they knew it that was good for them, and so you can too now, and an amazing reality, it's more expensive than a lot of foods, but if you take away the rest, you feel better, it's kind of amazing, and so we can chase that. But as we have chased that here, one of the other pieces we've learned is that a truly grass-fed, field-raised, moving cow that has its uh, full resources on an acre of land for itself, that doesn't destroy that land, um, that cow is going to produce a different quality of uh, vitamin-rich beef than a corn-fed cow will. Not that you won't have the vitamins and minerals, but you're going to actually have corn DNA in your cow. And chicken's the same way. And, and the science on this, go Google it. It's nuts. But, you know, Sean Stevenson, Model Health Show, says it real succinctly. You are not just what you eat. You're, you are what you eat ate. Because what it's turning into food for its body is going to be what is being given to you. And so if you take an animal and feed it an unnatural food, something it's not made to eat but it can eat, and it grows and it gives itself and you, you eat from it, um, because you're you're giving it an unnatural food, it may not be able to produce the same kind of quality output that it was before. Not may not. What we find is that that really is the case. So, for example, then, uh, a corn-fed cow uh, is going to have its stomach be more destroyed by the time it's brought to market uh, than a grass-fed cow because even though the cow is made to digest grass, which is like impossible to digest, it has the two stomachs and the barfing and the chewing and all this stuff. To make that happen so it can eat the grass and make this amazing red meat with all these minerals in it and all this fat with all this good in it um, and, uh, and no sugar, <laughs> and no sugar. And it tastes good and you like it on the grill, put a little salt in it. Uh, in order to do all of that, um, if you do that, if it does it with corn, it can live, but the system starts to break down. The gut health gets bad by the time it dies. Okay. Um, now you don't care because you're just going to go sell the cow and you just want to fatten it up for market. That's okay. Fine. So here's where the rubber hits the road in our family. Okay. We can't not. We can't buy grass fed all the time. We just can't afford it. It's just. It's just. It's just too much. So. So we end up with a lot of corn fed, and it is what it is. It's not ideal, but it's better than say chicken, which has nothing in it. It's definitely better than say cocoa puffs, right? So, <clears throat> right. And so, uh. You laughed and I appreciate it. And it, it did it did the thing where I so forget things. So we eat corn-fed beef uh, yes. as well as grass-fed sometimes. So Meredith's in the kitchen this summer. We're going to grill. She's got the burger. Doing her thing with the burger. Oh, we got, I love you know. the face. That's my face. That's, That's right. my burger face. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly she's like, my hands itch. 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 The beef made your hands itch. So she looks it up. Yeah, corn of the beef. Yeah, there's some sort of uh, carbohydrate that is in the protein, the raw protein. And yeah. It's from the, eating the corn. And uh, and so her allergy to the corn that she has because of her destroying her body with vegetables instead of good foods when she was young, um, now continues to hyperreact to allergens like corn. And so... Right. So as I've healed, I've been able to 
get the toxins out of my body. So now when I come in contact with a toxin, I re- respond much quicker. Yeah, right, right, right. So, so all that is to say that like our beef, we see that her body doesn't like it as much as say the grass fed beef. And yet it is what we have and what we eat, even though we know the grass fed beef is better. So when we get to your organic question, like you have to apply that wisdom, like you are where you are and you just got to do what you can do. And yeah, it takes small steps. And, and if you can get all the pesticides off your food, do it. Um, but also know that you're going to do all of that. And then you accidentally like planted in your backyard, a poison well or something. And you don't even know it. And it killed you. Right. So like, like don't go at this as if you're actually going to succeed, go at this knowing God's going to give you the gifts of health that you need for your life in front of you and take the steps when they come. Yeah. Act this on the discipline when it comes, but don't believe you're going to avoid death with this. Right. No. That's a big thing in this whole endeavor to do what's healthy because we start worshiping um, the creation mm-hmm. instead of the creator. Mm-hmm. And that can be crazy making. It's also on a, a mother's conscience. It, Jana is the one that wrote the question and she says she has a three-year-old and a one-year-old and it is from the moment that we conceive as parent, as mothers and then parents, you want the best for your kids. And so you can obsess over it and you can start to make an idol of good health and, um, good nutrition and that type of thing. But knowing that we, God has ordained our days Mm -hmm. from that Mm -hmm. moment that you were created in your mother's womb. And so you are free from the burden of worrying about making the absolute perfect choice make the best choice you can but you can't make the perfect choice yeah so what about like um this idea so all those organic labels and you can find like the you know the little circles that they have that you can put on all the different stuff each of those little circles is like a nonprofit corporation that started itself as an official thing to say that they fact check various types of things um, whether or not they all do I've heard various uh, tales about how it's all just one more scam to get you to buy it organics the latest thing and it'll just get you to buy it so like you can do all this work or you can like go to the farmers market and talk to people hmm you know kind of figure out what's there um, not this week, probably some prayer, some planning. You're going to have to buy at the store too, but to see that maybe instead of trying to shop for the right macro retailers gimmick, what you want to do is just buy real food from your neighborhood. If you can. Yeah. If you have the opportunity to go to a farmer's market, that's fabulous. If you have the opportunity to drive through the country roads and shop for honey and eggs and that's going to open you up to conversations with farmers as well. And this is their life. And They'll they will love yeah. to talk to you about what yeah. they do and how they do it. You can learn a lot. I loved just this past week going out to a farm, um, an alpaca farm. They also raise beef. And she pointed to the the cow in the pasture and said, that's the one we're going to be butchering in December or January. You want it? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's, that's kind of neat. That yeah. opportunity comes up. We've gotten to eat alpaca meat from that same farm because she was like, hey, yeah, I've got this. You want, you're want? you interested in it? Yeah. Well, here, let yeah. me have you try it. And it's her passion. And so finding somebody else whose passion it will be as well is super exciting for people. Yeah, absolutely. This this is why when I say that Rockford is not Illinois the way you think of Illinois and that Rockford is a good place to move to start a Christian community that cares about long-term sustainability, it's, there is a lot of that around here. And the market is just west of us if you go driving. And then St. Paul, uh, one of our goals is to become that market, uh, that, that bridge point between those who have a food desert 
which is south of us for sure. And we who can drive to the far east side of town to go shopping. Um, but maybe maybe that's not good for the neighborhood. Yeah. So, yeah. And though we've made friends with the people at Costco in the meat department, it's um, it's much more rewarding to be able to talk to somebody without my face covered and out in the open with the breeze and the sun and say, you know, tell me about this, the struggles you've had with your calves this year. Tell me about what, how God has blessed you in, in this way or that way. Uh, how yeah, are yeah. you expanding? And it's, it's neat to build actual community rather than what you find right. at, at the quick, convenient grocery store scenario. So what, what are your thoughts on organic? Can you just talk about organic? Um, well, I mean, I think organic seems to be a good idea if that's what we're actually getting. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard different scenarios about like, okay, so our the milk from our cows goes to different um, milk retailers and then they slap the label on it that they want to. Right. That gave me pause and I would love to dig deeper into it before I actually broadcast this is what's happening to our, our dairy farms, you know? I mean, the bigger, the bigger takeaway from that is um, you, you can't just trust the label blanketly. You can't. It'd be nice if you could. I know the label's there because the FDA wants us not to be deceived. The FDA is the one who says, put the mask on your eyeballs. So, you know, on we go. Yeah. Um, something that is interesting as I was chatting with the alpaca farmer recently, and I've also talked to dairy farmers down in Missouri about this, is nobody wants to give an excessive amount of um, medications to their animals. Yeah. It's not good for them. Yeah. I found that to be really fascinating. Especially since they're being pressured to do it all the time. Right. Yeah. Well, for example, a... Uh, baby alpaca had been wounded this past summer and it had a severe um, puncture wound that went through somehow. I don't know what it stepped on or got struck by, but anyway, so it was given um, antibiotics, but it didn't respond well to the antibiotics. And Hmm. so she didn't continue to the end of the treatment, but her comment was, um, Alpacas are sensitive, and so we definitely don't want to give them too much medication. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about people. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah, People well, are sensitive. Your body is a system of chemicals. And while it's not just that, and you have a spirit involved and all this other stuff, like those chemicals uh, have real balances and imbalances, and uh, the more exogenous stuff you put in of random like that the body doesn't quite know what to do with uh, the more backlogged your chemistry balance gets I mean again Sean Stevenson a model health show I can't recommend everything but when he talks about the liver it makes a lot of sense I mean people have asked about these papers on my desk this isn't that much paper honestly um, but if you go into like say an IRS uh, you know, uh, auditor's room, they're probably on a computer, but you can imagine this pile of paperwork at the DMV even, right? Or just sitting back there and just paperwork getting set up and you just, it's in and out. It's really easy. It's just stamp, stamp. But for every two you stamp and send out, 15 get dropped on your desk. And that's your liver in American food. And eventually your liver's like, I quit. And that's called diabetes. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of other ways that it works out, um, but that's like the big one. That's the most obvious, uh, the most common. And, uh, 
it has a lot to do again with toxins in and toxins out. Your liver is made to process toxins. We live in toxic environments. It's a fallen world. We always have. The liver is made to process it. Sugar is a toxin. When you have so much sugar, your liver can't process it, but turns it into fat instead to deal with it because it's exogenous. It's not from in, within you. Then all the other toxins you're putting in, whatever they might be, from lithium to, you know, I don't know, Tylenol, um, it's on pause until the sugar is dealt with. Because if they don't deal with the sugar, if your blood doesn't deal with the sugar, liver doesn't deal with the sugar right away, you die, right? You die. That's what insulin's for is to stop you from dying. Um, and so your liver pushes sugar to the front of the row and is stamping those papers through and you're just dumping more sugar on because it's creating like an up and down emotional roller coaster with the, the food cycle that glucose creates. Um, but your liver eventually is just, it just doesn't know what to do anymore. And then, you know, where is all those other, the, the air you're breathing in and the, the tiredness from the lack of sleep and all that kind of just combines, right? Um, hmm. Yeah, and the other, she talks about genetically modified foods um, and in our research about plants and fruits, we found that so like you take a potato mm. that's mm. Yeah. grown to be its normal size mm -hmm. and that's more like your fingerling or little potato I like that. Yeah. and then um there are is so many uh carbs and sugars and um lectins mm -hmm. that are po kind of a poison on the mm -hmm. skin so that the plant is protected or the root because it's a potato is protected so that the plant doesn't get killed by things Bugs, eating right, it. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, so there is a certain amount <clears throat> in there. And when you blow up the, the fruit, you also blow up the amount of carbs or the sugar. you know, sugars. Mm -hmm. So you're taking in quite a bit more. Well, it's not just the sugar. It's also the toxins. Yeah. So like in a potato, the skin, we've all been told, ah, oh, the skin is where the vitamins are. Well, the skin is the protective layer of this root. And if you think about a plant, it doesn't want its root, its heart to be eaten because it, it yeah. won't be able to produce more. Yeah. yeah. And so it puts a protective toxic layer around it. And we... <laughs> imbibing that isn't yeah. necessarily it's called lectins it's, it's why you have to cook a quinoa a certain way you know it's, it's why you um uh sauerkraut exists so you can eat the cabbage actually because the lectins are bad for you but they figured out various types of uh chemistry and or heating at at pressure um can deal with those lectins and break them down so you can safely consume the food but your point again is that you have this potato that's this big with like so much vitamins and minerals in it and um that means protein too, right? So this potato is this big and has so much protein in it. And that's secret knowledge, um, Gnosticism. Uh, you eat until you're full of protein. And then you eat until you're full of fat. But you don't even need that much fat as long as you're full of protein. And so if you're eating a potato, you're going to eat as much potato as you need until you get the protein your body's looking for out of that potato. And so here you are with a little potato. It's got so much protein, so much sugar, so much minerals, and so much poison. And you're going to GMO it. And grow it so it's this big and it's got the same amount of minerals and the same amount of protein and more sugar and more poison. And then that's what they're selling us and we're saying it's big and juicy and fruity and it tastes great because it's full of sugar. So what I would suggest is don't run away from potatoes yet. You can, but like leave the potato on your plate and before you eat the potato, eat a hamburger or three and then eat the potato. You'll find out you don't want as much potato. It really it isn't even that very good. I have to put ketchup on it to swallow it for goodness sakes. It's so terrible, you know, so like, and that's just more sugar, right? So like, what's the real value of your potato here? Yeah. Um, and that's sort of the big, the big 
end around on this. It's not that that uh, humans can't supplement our table with hors d'oeuvre wonderful, flavorful, random things from creation, but that none of that was really meant to be our bread and butter, even the bread. (laughs) (laughs) And how, so as a mirror, well, okay, let's back up. So our bodies are made of fat and protein. protein. Yeah, right. Our brains run on fat. Yeah. So you need the good fats. That's where Jana's first comment about, you know, she's being, made aware of the saturated fats and how healthy they are Mm. um animal fats Mm. is primarily what we turn to for that right um so so we want to put into our body what it's made of if you're going to make more cells more do repair on organs you need to have the building blocks that that part of your body is made of so consume what you need now can I flavor my my steak with mushroom sauce or even put mushrooms on it? Well, mushrooms are free, so there you go. <laughs> They're not really food. They're medicine. Crazy. Um, and then, uh, but as Americans and even Western Western people, we have started to assume feast day is three Every times day. a day. Yeah. 365 days a year feast day really like oh every my meal Atlanta. every meal's a feast it's right though that's right and that's where biblically my conscience has been the most on it just that's for me not for all you it's not about being carnivore it's honestly about realizing how much i expect out of every meal and what a ridiculous selfish thing that is given that feasting is supposed to mark something as special and if I do it every day I have no way to set apart the days that really matter and that's such a huge insight Meredith really is thank you you're welcome yeah um and and to build on that so if we're not feasting every day then um to recognize like it, it to be able to eat what is in your garden um a garden that you can maintain and Mm. eat fresh from Mm. is a is a good goal i would love to be able to eat fresh tomatoes from our garden my body's not quite there yet Mm -hmm. um but for my kids i want them to always be able to have a garden and to eat seasonally Mm -hmm. in the winter does that mean we eat fruits and veg not really no yeah no because it's not around and that's a time to start burning and working off what you like we store up fat for the winter just like the animals outside that's right and then it's a time to kind of lean out by spring you are more lean yeah, you got the pool coming you need that beach bot anyway right <laughs> so so you know don't worry about storing up for the winter yeah the the frozen vegetables like if you are amply blessed and that is what you want to do well you know god bless if you. you're but... in survival mode and you've got to get through the winter fruits and vegetables in in cans and that's all you got you survive right so we are so blessed to have these philosophical debates about our food. Mm. Oh my goodness. And we can like debate religiously about our food mm. and it doesn't matter. We are so blessed. The reason they canned is because by the end of the, su- end of the winter, I mean, it was like, there's three cans left. Well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what you lived on. Right. And it yeah. would supplement. I mean, we haven't always been able to go to the grocery store. And so mm. if Pa didn't bring home three deer, I mean, mm. three deer, really? Is that enough? It's a lot of meat. 
it's a good amount of meat. Um, <laughs> it'd, get, it'd get a family through the winter, three deer would, I think, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, if he only found two or if he only found one, it was Ma's, Ma's responsibility to make sure there was enough right. that they could dig into. Yeah. You'd um, never eat your chickens because you need those eggs every morning because that's, that's your protein. And you maybe get that piece of meat you know, well, on but the... Uh, the roast used to be a Sunday afternoon thing in most right. American families because it was hard to come by and it was the good meal. And again, this is the amazing thing that as backwards as everything's got right now, you can eat good meat now maybe more freely than any time in history. You can actually make a jump to having the true feast every day without feasting, but having the that type of food that everyone waited till Sunday to get a good belly full on, you can actually eat it every day mm-hmm. and that is a that's a gift a gift not to be blinked at at all especially okay. in these times so just making making wise choices is what the goal for our family has been mm-hmm. um we've made some pretty folly filled choices and so now Tim Ferriss uh, Chite. <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my goodness we have a store called Aldi and we would go and buy whatever garbage looked tasty and we would eat it mm-hmm. and felt terrible. terrible and half the time it was like this is so gross yeah. like this isn't even good yeah. but it was a step on the way slow carb was a step on the way to understanding that carbs were being un- uh, thought of wrongly 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 so um so then yeah making good choices that that are in front of us and you will reap what you sow huh? yeah and then her question continues oh, great. and says, as for medicine, you've opened my eyes to big pharma utilizing yeah. abortifacients and blood guilt to make medicine. Some resources on how widespread that is would be helpful. What is and isn't effect- affected? Is Tylenol still okay for my teething baby? Mm. Are some medications painkillers untainted and the side effects just the result of an inherently fallen world? Are there better alternatives like herbs, et cetera? I'm conflicted. Yeah. So buy at the market, right? The meat that's at the market. Um, but then when you learn things about it that test your conscience, you might have to change what you're doing. So uh, us the chill, the Mad Christian Discord, go to Discord, look for us the chill. Uh, there are ongoing conversations about uh, this very question. Um, and I'm going to read it again for me one more time. Just the first line, uh, I think. Um, okay, sorry, I got distracted. There's something I have to block in the comments. As for medicine, you've opened my eyes to big pharma utilizing abortifacients and blood guilt to make medicine. Oh, so recently in Us the Chill, there has been in the Captain COVID Crunch channel an ongoing discussion about the pharmaceutical industry's uh, love affair with abortifacient experimentation. And so your question, you know, does that blood guilt make all forms of pharmaceutical all the way down to what NyQuil, I mean, they're made by some of these same companies, are they now off limits, right? So, okay, before you make up new laws, right? remember what you're trying to do is live as a good person with a clean conscience. That's what you're trying to do. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shift tangent here for just a second. So what made it so interesting in the Us, to, Us the Chill discussion is the, the drug under question that came into uh, discussion uh, is ivermectin. Ivermectin, a very safe, over-the-counter medicine. I forget what it's originally, you know, passed FDA approval for years ago um, for uh, whatever it does. 
that it also appears to be like the, the best thing you can do if you've got COVID. It's just the best thing you can do. You can Google it and look at anybody who's a scientist who's talking about it positively, and they'll tell you that. You get the people who talk about it negatively, they won't. Okay, so you got two points of view. But ivermectin seems to be a golden cow for a bunch of people. And yet there is an article that was posted about how ivermectin, when it was at the company that made it, was uh, tried, went undergo trials on uh, a, a stem cell-based HR line or whatever it is for human embryo. So again, it's like, okay, so does that mean every bottle of ivermectin ever made after this if anyone ever takes that chemical and puts it together therefore now we can't because it was botched by this evil knowledge way back when i'm not quite ready to say that's the fair conclusion but if you're like oh i don't want to buy from johnson and johnson ever again i have to find a new way to deal with this stuff because my conscience just makes me do that well actually i am fine with that right so uh, where this really hits the road again is because the inoculation conversation has forced us that's just the inoculation conversation. The inoculation mandates have forced people to do their own research. And uh, what people are finding again is that the, the fingertips of the abortion industry are so deep into everything about this country that if you're going to try to clean your hands, you're not going to be able to do it unless you're just raising all your own food. So somewhere between... Um, my body, my choice, <laughs> and and uh, um, I'm allowed to take Tylenol. Is where you're going to land on this thing one day at a time. Okay, what's important is that you realize that pharmakia, as a concept, is about unseen things, and that trusting people from far away who say take this potion is not something anyone should just do. Right. Um, and then if you've already come to a place in life where you take certain potions, um, you might want to rethink each of them individually and figure out where your conscience lies on that. I mean, Meredith was just saying, we, we don't take much here anyway. We've really removed, I'll take a Tylenol if we've got a supreme headache. And I don't know. I mean, you can get acetaminophen from some nondescript source, I'm sure. And you can't make, there's no way that chemical compounds are amoral because somebody did evil somewhere else once with them. So that's, that's not how it works. But when you're dealing with inoculation technology that is being ongoing, developed and tried through these procedures, I'm just going to say that, um, well, you have every leg to stand on to resist it without having someone say, well, then you can't take Tylenol and have it being the same thing. Come on now. Um, what is perhaps the most important thing in all of this is to see how uh, infertility is the greatest curse that could ever come upon a people. And a people who want to heal through the magic of intentional fertility skewing the sacrifice of their children, that people will be torn down by Jesus. We don't have to tear it down. They're going to become so foolish, they will tear themselves. Wait a minute. Not become. They have become so foolish, we've been watching them tear themselves down for at least a year and a half. They're tearing themselves down. They're going to make an infertile planet. They're going to make an incompetent planet. They're going to make a bunch of people who cannot have conversations or love each other. So yeah, you have every right to be concerned 
And you need to know that stopping Tylenol because it's a legal requirement in your conscience is not the kind of wisdom we're looking for. That is panic. That is gaslight. That is inequivalent, impartial, um, uh, bullying arguments. It might be true that we all should stop taking Tylenol, but that's, that's a distraction right now. That's somebody who doesn't want to face what's really going on. So you know what? You want me to stop taking Tylenol so we all stop killing babies? I'll do it. But that won't work for the one you're arguing against because they don't care. They're just trying to beat you down. And that's where the argument has to be taken, kind of like set to the side. Hold on now. The whole pharmaceutical industry is evil. It doesn't mean Christians can't start their own and do it without blood guilt. It doesn't mean that, you know, Walmart's acetaminophen brand. You have no idea what the history of that is. So, it's at the market. Buy it. No. You, if you know what the history of it is because it's in the news and it's all coming from dead babies, well, then don't buy it. It's not your job to go. I mean, was the wood of this table, maybe the man who built this table, he beat his wife. I mean, we can't live like that, right? At the same time, when the knowledge comes to you that destroys an object in front of you or makes it, in fact, unethical to use, like putting dead baby parts into your body like right and when the companies won't tell you that's what they're doing and they're like well we might have used baby parts as some of them say well, well then okay so we're not with Tylenol anymore right do you see that the big difference in this pharmakeia means magic and it is when the stuff becomes magical in their promises and in their unwillingness to let you see the knowledge behind it trust us put the masks over your eyes they work just fine that's when you want to back away from it uh, recognizing again the blood guilt of our country is going to come down on our heads, but that the arc of the Christian church is here to sail right through it with joy, comfort, confidence, and I would even say victorious living, although that doesn't always mean what the Americans want it to mean. You want to add on to that before we head on our way, my friend? I think you covered it. Oh my goodness. Good job. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. Um, I'm excited about this week in sermons. We're going to be going into Proverbs chapter 4 tomorrow at the first service, and then again Galatians 5, and I plan to get much better by the end of this afternoon at all of those 15 words in there the works of darkness they, they hang together in such important ways so uh, feel free to stick around this channel for that this weekend those will be popping up tomorrow morning sometime and uh, again if you're interested in doing some uh, loose and creative and rock and roll oriented video production work for uh, the mad christian network the way you get paid is that you will have access to the upper echelon of the Mad Christian Network. And what you will find is that is people who are going to make you a better person. And so by being in our network, working with us, having some one-on-one -on -one with me, I'll get to know who you are and you can actually ask my advice if you ever want it as part of the payment. Uh, so again, we're looking for a video producer who's going to be able to take some instruction from me, come up with three-minute videos from time to time that we get to use uh, for a variety of purposes here uh, in the Mad Christian Network. So um, stop the white noise with Jonathan and Meredith. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That means you're paid for it, so I forgot earlier means you're immortal now. He's not going to be long anyway. The water seals it. The bread feeds it. Food feeds it. This is Christianity. Don't wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. Lift up your head all the more as you see the day approaching. Rock on and hallelujah.
Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.